Daniel was like, um, you're not supposed to do that, yeah. uh, cause Yemi wouldn't do that, and Echo's like, well, I'm not Yemi, and Daniel's like, well, here's the thing, I don't think it was a Yemi rule, I think it was just, like, you know, a god rule, so... <laughs> Welcome to Our Lost Podcast, brought to you by the Aficionados Podcast Network. My name is Robin Jeffrey. I'm a 25-year-old actor and drama instructor. I like brooding anti-heroes, feminist agendas, and I have way too much knowledge regarding details that no one else remembers. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey pretty much everywhere. And our fun fact for this episode is if you could have a screen that like shows you one place <laughs> forever, I guess, or whatever. Um, I, I like. I feel like all of my answers are always about Disney. I am a Disney adult, but I just feel mm-hmm. like the only place that I wouldn't be bored or like annoyed to see forever would just be like the front of the castle, and you could see all the proposals and stuff. Like, That's an extremely good answer. Yeah, and then I was like, okay, well maybe if I don't want all my answers to be about Disney because they always are, um, <laughs> maybe just like my parents' living room, and then and have you ever seen those TikToks? You stole my answer. <laughs> have you seen the TikToks where the where the people have like the like doorbell camera and then like their dad will pass by and be like hi how are you and I'm like I want one of those my parents actually have one of those but I don't have access to it but every once in a while my sister will be like look what just happened and it's her recording it because my mom or my stepdad has just biffed it on the stairs (laughs) (laughs) we are bad people I love just I love just watching them purely for the videos online of like people mm-hmm. stealing stuff only to realize later. Oh my god! That yeah, is booby trapped. My favorite video on the internet is is literally this guy who discovered all his packages are getting stolen, and so he mm-hmm. created a really authentic looking package that got stolen, but it also had a camera in it, and it activated and it filmed what happened in the car, and it exploded yeah. with like glitter and like fart noises and like all the best kind of stuff and just uh sometimes I just watch it and feel better about my life it's great I think I literally watched that video because you retweeted it once because <laughs> I know exactly which video you're talking about it's just so satisfying yes what have I been doing with my life? <laughs> and my name is Brittany Ray. I'm a 31-year-old journalist from beautiful post-apocalyptic Vancouver, BC. I like badass moms and long naps. I'm on Twitter at Britannia, where I can be found attempting to be interesting and talking about my cat. And Robin already said my answer, which Sorry. is, I just really miss my family. So I would love to be able to watch them and all the dumb crap they do. But I would put it um, in the corner of our kitchen so that I can okay. see the kitchen and the family room. Because that way I also get to see um, my mom cooking and um, the dog stealing food from my mom while she cooks. I love that. Yeah. Uh, and our guest for this episode is Erin! Well, look, to introduce me, I am Erin. I'm 38. I'm from a fantastically named place called Wagga Wagga in New South Wales in Australia. Um, <laughs> my my thing that I was asked here is what Hogwarts house I am. So I, I am Gryffindor, Gryffindor with Hufflepuff tendencies. So I like to describe that as either a lion who likes to nap and cuddle a lot or a badger with a hero complex. It depends on the day, really. Um, so, yes, that's me. And, and so who are some of your favourite characters on this show? Oh, my! I have two favourites in particular. Like, they're all really interesting. But Jack and Desmond are probably my mm-hmm. two absolute favourites. Um, yeah, I just, I, there's something, I think particularly with, with Jack, you know, Jack being like the eldest son, being the responsibility or being the responsible one and all that kind of stuff. Like I, I am the eldest daughter in a family. And it's really interesting. There was in, in so many ways, there were so many things as characters that I didn't think I would have in common with him, but I just, I felt like I really connected to him. And then Desmond, I love, cause I could listen to him all day. Like I could shut my <laughs> eyes and just listen to that man read a cereal box. And I just 
be like, give him an Emmy, throw an egot at his face. He's amazing. <laughs> but he's just, he's such a complex, lovely, interesting character who I still think has one of the best character introductions ever in mm-hmm. a TV series. Oh, for sure. Agreed. So yeah, they're my faves. This is a great episode for you then because they're both relevant mm-hmm. and present. Um, so your relationship with the show, what is what does it mean to you? Um, so I remember when Lost Very First came out, I, I was watching it um, when it was sort of being broadcast here. And for, for me, I've always, I've always been a, a writer and a fan of great stories. And I think one of the things about Lost that I loved was it really did kind of tip contemporary TV storytelling on its head like in so Mm -hmm. many crazy ways and I think the thing that I loved the most about it was like yes it added you know supernatural elements and stuff into the show but the really supernatural element of the show I think was in the way that it took the individual complex humanity of each character and almost like wielded it like a superpower Mm -hmm. to change the game constantly it kind of the in the individual humanity was that was where the magic was um and so yeah for me it was just something I remember being really challenged as someone who loves to write thinking I feel like my mind's just been expanded and I thought the characters were all different and diverse and interesting mm-hmm. as well I didn't feel like I was just watching pretty people on a on a beach if you like yeah yeah and so it was a story with a lot of heart that was really complex and so yeah just Ticked a lot of boxes for me. And it was back in the mm-hmm. old days of watching episodic television when you were like, there's an ad break. So you're like, you know, everybody would sit down to watch and then there's an ad break where you're all going, <laughs> like, what happened? <laughs> and then and then, they, then you hear the, quick, it's nearly back on, sit down, sit down, sit down. Um, yeah. You couldn't pause anything. You couldn't binge it. And it was this real sense of delayed gratification with a great story as well. So I miss mm-hmm. it. I miss those days. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if anyone wants to follow you, where, where can they follow you? Uh, I'm just speed mouse on Twitter is basically my main thing. Mm -hmm. So look me up there. We can hear me being noisy and talking crap all time about things that I love. You should follow her. She is my favorite person on the internet. (laughs) It's because I'm weird, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's because you're so nice. It's because we're all weird. That's right. Yeah. Mutual weirdness. Exactly. (laughs) So if you could have a like a television screen that live streamed um, somewhere, like where would you want it to live stream? I would want it to live stream. So at the moment in Australia where everything, a bit like Britt was saying, like with lockdown, it's been really hard. And I have one little sister um, and her husband and their four kids are down in the state south of us, which is probably suffering the worst under COVID at the moment. But they are on a little farm Mm -hmm. and every day the kids call us in the morning and at night to double check that we're okay (laughs) and they are just the funnest most amazing smart hilarious kids in the world so um yeah it would be somewhere where I could I could see them my two-year-old niece has just discovered this fantastic thing where she loves waiting until the adults are mid Skype conversation and then she will look directly at the camera and turn the computer off and laugh her head off she thinks it's the best thing that is extremely funny she's a magnificent child um and you know the other kids sort of call me the auntie Erin but she's like Ellen and I was like the baby voice she's oh they're the the best kids so that's what I would do I would talk to them all day 
and I know that I know that you prepared a general fun fact as well. Would you like to tell that story? I did. I did. My general my general fun fact is uh, embarrassing but fantastic fun fact is that I worked at Comic Con a couple of years ago, and it was the year that Outlander was premiering. And somehow, by some strange stroke, I found myself on the red carpet talking to all these wow. people. And uh, I, the very last interview of the night was um, was Sam Sam Hewen and Katrina Balfe. And uh, I shook Sam Hewen's hand and I went from being, oh, my gosh, you're really attractive to I don't know what hand cream you're using, but it's amazing. His hands oh were God. so baby soft and I was so distracted that I actually booped her in the face with a microphone at her own premiere of her own TV show. Oh, my God. So, yeah, great, great moment of life. I, I looked at That's Sam Hewen and I wasn't distracted by his hair or his looks. I was like, oh, my gosh, what hand cream do you use? It's amazing because I'm an idiot. <laughs> that's iconic <laughs> oh man that's great oh, I've never I've never thought to ask a man what his skincare routine was until I, until I met him oh. yeah something new happens every day oh he's like one of those blankets that you go into like a store and you just pat it and you're like oh that's so nice I just want to buy one it just feels so comforting <laughs> me and Costco <laughs> okay that's okay me. Today we have words to say about episode 305 of Lost, The Cost of Living. We're on track. We got this. <laughs> yeah, we got this. We're fine. <laughs> so The Cost of Living, it's a big theme of the show is obviously life and death. And you know what? I'm not even really all that sure, like having watched the episode, what exactly they're trying to tell me the cost of living is. I have my own problems with this episode that we can talk uh, about later. Um, but the broadcast date is November 1st, 2006. It was written by Allison Shapker and... Monica Owusu Breen, um, and it was directed by, of course, the iconic Jack Bender. Of course. Um, a couple of fun facts about this episode that I found on Lostpedia. Um, Tanya Raymond, who plays Alex, she's not in this episode, but she's around. Uh, she was in an episode of CSI New York, also titled The Cost of Living. So, coincidences. Don't mistake, mistake them for fate. What season was that? I don't know. Oh, well, I would like to know that. Uh, another one is that this is the first episode since Do No Harm. Um, which was uh, 120, I believe, uh, 34 episodes ago, to feature the death of a male main character. Every main character killed since Boone has been female. Ooh. Wow. That's, um, that's not great. No? Like, I know that's only three, but still, that's a lot. But even then, like, having all of us suffered watching The 100, <laughs> even when you watch these deaths, you're like, oh, this was a way better death than every character on The 100, so this is fine. Yeah, because it had meaning. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Um, and then as with the 23rd Psalm, which was Echo's first flashback episode, um, all of them are uh, shot using a yellow tinted lens to give them like a specific look. Mm -hmm. Hello, we're in Nigeria, basically, yeah. is what they're trying to tell us. When I go to Nigeria and it's not yellow, it's going to be really confusing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when people are like, why do you shoot Mexico in yellow? We have regular colors here. <laughs> Like this is racially charged, I see. Oh man! So this this episode and the death of Echo, I would say that Echo's death is one of the and like you said, Aaron, it's like still actually like not too bad. Like it, mm. you know, it means something. Um, but it is one of the less well done deaths on this show, I agree. and that is because um, Adewale asked to be written off. So Damon and Carlton had lots of plans for Mr. Echo. They had season six plans for Mr. Echo for him to continue on. But uh, Adewale, first of all, apparently did not like filming in Hawaii. 
which I, I can't, can't relate, relate to, to no. at all. Um, and then also, uh, his, both of his parents passed away. And so he asked to um, be able to go back home to England. Um, and I respect the heck out of that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into the episode. Usually what we would do is um, do the B storylines and the smaller storylines first, and then the A storyline with the main character and then the flashbacks. However... <laughs> The other storylines, the storyline with Jack and the storyline with Locke are so compelling and important for the rest of the show that I'm wondering if it would be okay if we did the Echo stuff first. I know this is uh, unheard of for our podcast, <laughs> but what, what, are your, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Would, would you guys be okay with doing Echo first? I'm heat for it. Okay. I'm fine. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Hello, my friends. Good day. I have, I have an announcement. I was wrong. <laughs> I was completely wrong. So the way that we recorded this episode was um, the Echo Island stuff, Echo's flashbacks, uh, the Locke stuff, and then the Jack stuff. Um, I was so wrong. I thought that we wouldn't have enough to say about Echo and that the Jack stuff was the most interesting. So, you know, we should end with that. Um, and Erin brought so much to the table. She brought so much to the table to talk about Echo. Um, I completely stand corrected. And I think that even though it might sound a little bit weird and the vibes might be a little bit off, I truly think that this podcast would be most enjoyed in the normal format that we usually do. And so basically what I'm telling you is that even, even though we recorded it that way, I'm going to edit it the normal way. So we're going to talk about Jack, then Locke, then Echo on the Island, then Echo's flashbacks. And it might seem a little bit disjointed just because there's some points in which we say, oh, but we already talked about that. And you're like, well, I haven't heard it yet. Or, you know, in between storylines, it might seem a little bit just like weird. Just know that, you know, let me be transparent with you. This is exactly what happened. And, um... Yeah, even though it might be a little bit weird, I truly think that the um, podcast is best enjoyed in this way. And yeah, it's a really great podcast. I am so excited for you guys to hear it. And uh, yeah, just wanted to let you know that it might seem a little bit weird, but um, it's worth it. <laughs> okay, enjoy. Uh, let me get my notes in here. Oh, wait! <laughs> she almost she thought I forgot I actually did I was like oh, I'm about to get away with this Brittany is going to summarize the episode first <laughs> I'm gonna summarize the episode and then Robin's gonna speed me up and post to sound like a chipmunk <laughs> to be clear I never try to make you sound like a chipmunk it's just what you sound like at 115 percent mm-hmm. it's my own chipmunkness just really coming out I guess so my chippiness it's monk your Brit here. monk it's Brit Brit monk that's oh, what you are that's so much better Brit Monk, change accepted. <laughs> okay, why did I do such a long summary too? I hate myself. Okay, um, I broke this up by storyline because I was trying to follow the episode and Lost PD at the same time, and it just wasn't happening. Okay. In the past, Echo refuses to apologize to a nun for stealing food for he and Yemi. The nun is a nice lady from 911, and I'm really excited about it. He says that it's a justifiable sin. After Yemi dies, he takes his place as a priest in the village. The militia rolls up and takes like 80% of their Red Cross shipment, and Echo's like, hey, that's a bad deal. So they murder an innocent person to manipulate him. They seem like nice people. Echo speaks to a village doctor and finds out Yemi is responsible for the little vaccines they do get. Echo decides to sell the vaccine supply. The militia rolls up. They know what he did. They're going to cut his hands off, except Echo can fight and just Fs them right up. A kid asks Yemi if he's a bad man, and Yemi is like, only God can judge me, bro. Whoops. A kid kid asks Echo if he's a bad man, and Yemi... Why did I invite Yemi twice? And also, it's Amina and Daniel. They're the main guys. Yeah, but I didn't know their names at the time, now did I? 
What's his name, Daniel? Daniel. Okay. Kid Daniel asked Echo if he's a bad man, and Echo is like, only God can judge me, bro. Amina the nurse is angry at him for taking lives because more men will still come to exploit them. She has the church boarded up and tells Echo he owes Yemi a church. Echo has vin- visions of Yemi while he's delirious. His shelter catches fire and he's dragged out, talking about his brother. He ups and disappears. Neat! Locke decides to head out and look for him, but also to look for a computer that they can use to find Jack, Sawyer, and Kate. Anyone can come on their adventure, which is a nice change from Jack's leadership style. They eventually find Echo, and Locke basically guesses exactly what Echo is doing. They find the plane next to the Pearl's hatch. Locke and Echo dig the plane out, and Echo discovers that Yemi's body is gone. I'm sure that's totally fine. Echo looks at a picture of he and his brother when they were younger. Nikki watches a Dharma video while Saeed and Locke have the idiot ball. She points out the TVs must lead to other stations. Okay, good job, Nikki! They turn the cameras on and see a guy in an eye patch. I'm sure that it's totally fine too. Echo stumbles through the jungle before he finds Locke. After he finds Locke, he decides that he's going to go out on his own again and he runs into a field of flowers and sees Yemi. He doesn't ask God for forgiveness because he believes he did what he needed to do to survive. Yemi is like, dude, I'm not your brother, and then bounces. Echo falls and comes across a smoke monster, which just beats the crap out of him. Locke finds him. Echoes whisper something to him and then dies. He told Locke that they're next. That should definitely come back later. <laughs> back in Jack's storyline, Ben tells Jack to change his shirt, and Jack is like, that's weird. Also, you have a tumor. Ben is like, no, I don't, but he totally does. He takes Jack to Colleen's funeral while they're all wearing fun cult clothes. Later, Juliet brings Jack a burger. Ben kicks her out and tells Jack his dastardly plan to manipulate him because his plan got totally blown by Jack seeing his x-rays. He believes that God brought Jack to him. I do not think that is true. Juliet brings a TV for Jack to watch a movie and Jack is like no I don't want to watch a movie and Juliet's like please watch the movie and Jack's like no <laughs> Juliet is like you're an idiot and shows him a video of her spilling the tea on evil Ben and while she monologues about how great evil Ben is she wants Jack to kill Ben during the surgery that was an extremely long explanation I was here for it though that was my longest summary yet it was great I loved it no there's no way that was your longest that's summary. 100% my longest summary I don't I believe guarantee it. it no you've definitely spoken for longer <laughs> I need to um cut that down <laughs> So we can probably just move on to Jack. I'm like, I, I know that we should talk about Jack, but we should also talk about Juliet. We can talk about Juliet. You know what I mean? <laughs> She's definitely here. I see you. I see you. <laughs> so Jack does pull-ups in his cell. Ben comes in and offers him a white outfit. Jack asks Ben how he's feeling. Uh, he can tell that the x-rays he saw were Ben's. Ben pretends that he doesn't know what Jack is talking about, and so they just head out. Um, Ben, what's wild is that you were a dirty rotten liar. Mm. Yeah. So Jack's doing pull-ups not only because he's a manly man, but also he's probably really bored. Yeah, but there are other men that do other things when they're really bored. Like, I'm sorry, I just really respect the fact that he's just like, I'm going to use this time to work on myself. Yeah, he's also like, hey, Juliet, look at how manly and uh, strong I am. Have you seen? Yeah, I'm so much stronger. Uh, either, either that or he's just like, oh, what? You know, I didn't even know that I had these muscles. You mean these? You mean these pecs? What are they? You know, just working on them in my spare time. That's all I've got. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Ben shows up in the white robe and he's like, hey, do you want to come on a walk? And Jack's like, I don't have a choice. I really like jack at the beginning of this season in particular because he's against people and he's being like stubborn mm-hmm. and sarcastic against people who i think that he deserves to be a jerk to yeah. like when he's being a jerk to Locke, i'm like hey that's my friend but when he's being a jerk to ben i'm like serves you right ben <laughs> <laughs> exactly and i think it, i think he's just he, he has no shit left to give that's what that's what i love he's just like yeah, exactly well, it would be one thing if I had just crash landed on an island in the middle of nowhere, but nope, I've got to be around people locked in a cell with a dude who wears literally the same shirt that most soccer mums will wear to the pool to cover up their swimmers when they're not in there. Oh my god, drag him! That's the shirt that he offers him. Like, really? Yeah. No, Kate, it's true. Kate, literally, though, drag him. <laughs> and I love that later he's just like, when Ben's like, hey, do you believe in God? And Jack, instead of being like, yes or no, is like, 
do you? He's like, what a weird ass question to ask me. That's actually a, an incredibly good response yeah. to that question yeah. from that kind of person. Mm-hmm. So Jack puts on his robe as well. And they're obviously like trying to welcome him into the other so that he'll want to help them, etc. Jack asks if Ben's neck hurts and if he feels tingling in his fingers and toes. Um, and there was a thing on Lostpedia um, that said, Jack tells Ben that he should be feeling tingling in his fingers and toes as a result of his L4 tumor. These symptoms, however, would only be in his lower extremity, not upper, as the lumbar spine is in the low back. So that's just um, a mistake in the writing that he wouldn't be feeling f- tingling in his fingers. He would only be feeling tingling in his toes. So apparently, I guess a doctor wrote in to tell us that. <laughs> okay, that's extremely funny. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. That is that is an extremely cute well actually. <laughs> but I'm going to say I'm definitely going to say that um that was just a mistake in the writing rather than a mistake in Jack's knowledge because I think Jack is very very knowledgeable about this. Oh yeah, that's 100% the writers just, you know, not being doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says unless those x-rays were really recent, he probably won't be walking for very much longer and Ben like genuinely looks mortified. He's like trying to keep it keep a mask on top but and so he pretends that he doesn't understand but his his facade went down for just a second yeah you can see it and jack sees it too so when ben is like what huh jack's like oh yeah my b sorry i I guess i just misunderstood isn't that crazy Mm -hmm. jack knows why are you asking me these questions jack because ben you have a tumor on your spine an aggressive tumor that is going to kill you I don't know when those x-rays were taken that I saw, but unless they were very recent, I'm not going to be taking walks much longer. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. My mistake, then. I'm ready whenever you are. And, and Jack, I love the fact that Jack's too is like, I'm sorry, if you wanted bedside manner, you literally shouldn't have locked me up in the bathroom and made me do chin-ups. Yes. Like, come on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. And I think, like, it's just also, like, I will take any and all opportunity to compliment Michael Emerson. Mm-hmm. He's such a masterclass in this scene because it's all in the eyes. It really Fully. is. And he, and this is, and you're right, it's one of the things that he does so well as an actor. It's in those tiny, tiny facial movements. That he does. So same with his eyes, but I often find too he has that quirk of his mouth. I was just about to say that. Oh, I yep. I know that I've hit a nerve. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he's just such a good actor. It's funny. Every now and then, I feel like like this the sound that should accompany that is like like the tiny little sound that glass makes when it just gets a little crack in it. Right. Ooh, Ooh, I like that. Ooh, yes. I like that. That just sounds like what that would be. They have to edit that out in post. Damn it, another glass yeah. sound. <laughs> You're like, okay, well, you can you can hire me to be on your show, but just know this one. <laughs> yes, exactly. So Jack says that he's ready for the walk. Um, he's led to Colleen's funeral, and they're setting her on fire in the water. Juliet says that she hates funerals, and Ben asks Juliet why she told Jack about the x-rays, but she didn't. Jack is just really smart like that. Mm-hmm. And the song that they use, actually, this Mm -hmm. was a thing. It's really interesting. I went and I looked up the lyrics for this song because I thought I I quite like this. It has a couple of, like, really interesting lyrics in it. So it's got um, maybe I'll awaken and find that I'm mistaken, but I wonder. Mm -hmm. And it talks about while I'm travelling, I'm travelling, I'm travelling nowhere. And it's just kind of... 
there's a couple of lines in this song where I'm like, I don't know if you intended that, but that's just kind of a, I see what you did. Mm-hmm. It's extreme. That's extremely. See, because with this show, with some shows, I'm like, oh, they didn't intend that. But with this show, they always mm-hmm. do. You kind of got to wonder. Yeah. And that's the thing is, I think there are only two songs in the entire show that I can't remember exactly what the word is, but there's a specific word for songs that are played on shows in which you don't know where the music is coming from. Like it's just being overlaid like by the music mm-hmm. rather than like. So, for example, like this song that they're they're playing is like coming from the speaker behind Jack and he looks back and he looks at it that it's coming from the speaker. So it's coming from like it's happening in canon. Mm. All other music other than two songs, I think, are um, Michael Giacchino's score. Mm. And so um, like that's the thing is that especially with those sort of songs, you have to really pay attention to the lyrics because not only are we hearing it, but the characters are hearing it. Too. Yeah. And the, the lyrics oh. is the lyrics are so pointed in this song Mm -hmm. um and i think too because like there's there's been those little like jack and juliet moments you know um Mm -hmm. but there's also that element of i'm trapped and i don't know where to go and i don't know what's real and i don't know what's not and i feel like no matter where i go i'm not getting anywhere Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so very smart choice but that's a really interesting thing about the fact i didn't i didn't actually think of that the idea that the characters are actually hearing the song Mm -hmm. yeah like it's it's on the um the record player or on the, on the, um, oh, I was going to say a spoiler might be, um, or, or in Hurley's Walkman mm. or something like that. It's always being played somewhere or like, especially in like flashbacks and stuff, sometimes like car radios and stuff. Mm. That's fascinating. They, I feel like it starts with an A when it's, when it's in the, mm-hmm. the content itself. I, I think it starts with an A. I, I always talk about it and I always forget what the word is. <laughs> we went to film school. <laughs> Songs played in films. Uh, Aaron's going to find it first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. I'm just... So, diegetic. If the characters yes, in the yes. film can or could hear the music the audience hears, then that music is called diegetic. It's also there called it source music, and it's said to be within the narrative sphere of the film. Yeah. Thank you, Queen. <laughs> That's all right. Spelling bee champion, four years in a row in primary school. Still good. Respect. <laughs> so for Colleen's funeral uh, on Lastpedia, it was talking about some Hindu funeral practices. Um, it says the others wear white robes to the funeral, which follows the traditions of Hindu funeral practices. In many Asian cultures, white is the funeral color. Adopting this characteristically Eastern practice would be in keeping with the other motifs associated with the Dharma initiative. Mm. It's also a really clever mm. thing too, though, when you think about the fact that um, everybody light and dark and everything. Well, yeah. not just light and dark, but when you think about the fact that like all the characters who've all the characters who've been like crashed on on the plane, mm-hmm. that they're very Western. They 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 make a point yeah. really mm-hmm. of showing how Westernized they are. So that's that's a very East West thing as well that they've attempted to play up almost like it's a cultural thing. It's not just a, you've been in one spot, I've been in one spot, but we're all sort of same people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a damn good observation. Yeah. So they're, they're not okay with Jack coming into the hospital, but I guess they are okay with him being at the funeral. Maybe Danny just didn't see him. Um, I feel so bad for Danny. Uh, that he had to lose his wife in this terrible way. Uh, yeah, they, they play a song from the speakers. I was wondering if maybe Sawyer and Kate can hear it, but we don't see them this episode, so we have no way of knowing. Do you want to pretend that they can? Sure. <laughs> um, and I also, I wonder if that was Colleen's favorite song, maybe? Like, I was just wondering why that song was chosen, not necessarily even from, like, 
a writing standpoint, but like from the standpoint like of the characters, why did did Ben choose to play that song, you know? Damn. I'm wondering if maybe it was Colleen's favorite song. Possibly. It's also got like an element of nostalgia with it, like an Mm. old old world feel to it. Which reminds me of like Kate because Kate's always listening to Patsy Cline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's there's something really to be said for that is that for for everything, even though the show's – moving forward and you you want to find out what the narrative is it is a show that in different ways whether it's in flashbacks or or in the music that they use they do like to hearken back like to yep. a time where innocence and honor and purity and i don't i don't know it's just yeah Mm-hmm. It's an interesting thing. It very much likes to evoke something mm. that has gone past. Very much. So Danny is the one to set her on fire. Um, ben asks why Juliet showed the x-rays and she says that he saw them, but she didn't say that they were his. Jack is just like that good. And Ben talks to Juliet. Juliet looks back at Jack, which is just another reason for him to believe that he's right because they're like talking about him mm-hmm. and Juliet looks straight at him and it's like, oh my God, what are you guys saying about me? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God, what did he say? They're talking about me. Oh my gosh. I'm obsessed. Does he like me? Does he think I'm cute? He follows me on Snapchat, I think. I don't know. I don't even know if that's his handle, but I think it is. <laughs> the handle is just Jack Shepard won. Yes! <laughs> oh, meanwhile, his handle on Twitter is not that Jack. <laughs> the other Jack. The other other Jack. Although he was doing chin-ups here, so it might be jacked up. You never know. True, true. Wait, jacked up is very funny. (laughs) It might be too funny for Jack. Oh, yeah, because he's quite a a plain man (laughs) in some ways. Ben's would just be, it's Ben, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's so great. Either that or I love white robes. (laughs) White robes, Dan. Or or just just glass sounds, one. (laughs) Glass. Later, Juliet brings Jack lunch and has him guess what it is. Just flirty things. Oh, my God. It's a cheeseburger. She well. says she did everything herself. Ha, laugh, laugh. Then Ben comes in and he is way too serious for this lighthearted moment. He really broke the vibe there. So she brings it in with a cloche, which she doesn't usually do. Like one of those little dome things. Mm-hmm. She's like, guess what's for lunch? And Jack says that he doesn't like mysteries. And I'm like, sir, do you know what show you're on? Play the game. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but that's absolutely how I flirt. I just walk up to a man with a hamburger and be like, guess what's on my hamburger? I got chips too. I said the exact same thing earlier today. I was like, this is my kind of flirting. The the banter, the banter, that's my thing. (laughs) Ask me about the beef, honey. (laughs) Good night. So, of course, Jack doesn't like mysteries because he's the man of science. It turns out, oh my God, it's a cheeseburger. (laughs) And Juliet has to be extra nice now because... I think that she does like Jack, but also Ben is probably making her continue to, like, try and get him to trust her. Probably. Um, and then, like, of course she looks like Sarah, and he brings that up later. Um, she says she killed the cow and processed the meat herself, etc. And Jack's like, oh my god, no ketchup? And I'm like, wow, you guys, what's happening here? <laughs> you guys vibing? What's going on here? You people have cheeseburgers? You have no idea what I went through to make this for you. I killed the cow. Process the meat, bake the bun, and the fries. Try rendering animal fat. Oh my gosh, it literally sounds like one of those, like, <laughs> hate to love stories that you would read on, like, AO3. 
<laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh my gosh, it's totally a trope. We hated each other, but now we're so in love, and we fell in love over a cheeseburger. Oh my gosh. A cheeseburger. A cheeseburger. In a cell. I, I do want to say that I I feel bad for the people who ship um, Jack and Juliet, not because it's a bad ship, but because of the name of the ship. I also understand as somebody who ships skate, um, it's really hard to have a ship that's literally just a word because it's really hard to like look up anything like the tags on, uh, on Tumblr are very poor. If you search mm-hmm. up skate, it's just skateboards. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the ship name for Julia and Jack is jacket. <laughs> See, we thought we were so clever naming stuff back in the day. <laughs> But we did not take hashtags into account. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Ben wants to talk to Jack alone. Jack says that he's okay if Juliet is here, but Ben makes her leave. Ben tells him about the plan they had that's now irrelevant. Um, ben needs Jack to save him, and he wants him to want to save him. They were going to try and make him feel like he was one of them, um, and he found out that he had a spinal tumor, and a spinal surgeon fell out of the sky, so God must have sent Jack. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> I love that moment so much. What a mic drop, honestly. There w- I mean, it is. You're right. And and Ben is, is trying, you know, he said, like, our plan was to get you to want to help me. And he's trying still to get Jack to want to help him. He's saying, he's saying, you were sent specifically for me. Like, we were meant for each other. You know, and he's saying it so softly, saying that, like, I think this was a work of God, that, like, I needed you and you're here now. Please help me. Do you believe in God, Jack? Do you? Two days after I found out I had a fatal tumor on my spine, a spinal surgeon fell out of the sky. And if that's not proof of God, I don't know what is. The problem is that the way he goes about things means that Jack will never really want to help him. Mm -hmm. Which Ben will never understand. Yeah, like Stockholm Syndrome has not in any way been established here. Like, you know, Jack, Jack's not somehow gone, you just be like, yeah, you kept me in a cage, but you're a cool dude. All right, I'm going to help you. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. And I think, too, because Ben has, like, even before he reveals kind of what his master plan is, he's been so blatant in his mm-hmm. manipulation of Jack. And I think you're right. Jack's a smart man. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's like, I don't, I don't have time for this. Yeah. Mm. He doesn't have time for games. No. So, yeah, Juliet wants to stay, and Jack wants Juliet to stay. I It's it's hard because I know that when Juliet comes in later with, like, the videotape and everything, we know that that was not planned by Ben. Like, her actually walking in there and being like, please help Ben was obviously planned. So, like, whenever Juliet is in here with Jack, it's hard to differentiate what is a setup yeah. and what is actually how she, like, feels and exists. You know, mm. like like, Ben is like, like, was Ben like, okay, bring him in his food, and then I'm going to come in, and then you're going to say, okay, well, I'll stay, and we're going to see if Jack wants you to stay. Mm. You know? Like, I'm like, how much of this is a is a setup? Mm. I think that if I was going to guess, I'd say that Juliet did it out of the goodness of her heart. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I don't know why I think that, just that I think that Ben would not plan to dismiss Juliet. Juliet would never go along with a plan where Ben dismisses her and treats her so badly. Mm. She's a, and she's a smart woman and she knows she knows her worth, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And yeah, last episode she like tried to convince Jack that Ben wasn't like the boss of her and then he came in and basically like just was the boss of her. So I agree. And I think that, you know, later and even already we have seen Juliet 
lie and be a part of a scheme exactly. and it doesn't feel like this was that. No. No. This this felt like something that was Jack. She might have been planning on telling Jack even then. Mm-hmm. And then it the whole thing got interrupted. Right. So um, Ben cites doctor-patient confidentiality and so Juliet's like, okay, I'll leave. Um, and he talks about that they had a plan to break him and convince him that they weren't the enemy and they wanted him to choose to help Ben. I mean, okay. And he also talks about um, like Juliet and Ben's like, haven't you noticed that Juliet looks like your ex-wife? Like we did that on purpose. And Jack's like, oh no, my crush on Juliet is manufactured. (laughs) (laughs) I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) But she bought me a cheeseburger. No. (laughs) No, but now now that he knows that he's dying, the plan is like broken. Mm. Um, And so he wants him to want to save him. And it's a really important distinction to, I want you to save me. I want you to want to save me. Mm. I want you to want save me. me. <laughs> well, it's the, it's the other thing. That's all. It, every time you say that, that's what I'm thinking. But it's the it's the thing too is I think even, even Ben knows that if you care about someone you're trying to take care of, that mm-hmm. changes the effort. Yeah, you might yep. do a better job. That you feel like you go to, like the, the, and the investment that you put in, yeah. into it. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it, you can sort of see in, in a weird way, it's almost like Ben's trying to fertilize the ground before he plants the idea in it or he plants the action in it because, you know, Ben, I think up until right now, and I think up until particularly probably his diagnosis, he's a, he's a long game player. Yeah. 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 Oh, he for sure is. Yeah. You know, he plans for so much and here's something that's just kind of like taken all of that away. Suddenly it's like, well, you're not the one in control of what happens to you next. Yeah. And he's used to dangling other people's lives in his hands. He's not used to having his own. He's used to being the puppet away. master, not the one with all the strings exactly. attached. And now he's got a real yeah. big string attached and he doesn't know what to do with it. Yes. Serves him right though. Old glass face. A <laughs> little bit. A little bit. Yeah, I love it's him, like, but a little bit. Right. So the distinction between I want you to save me and I want you to want to save me, it's like now it doesn't matter. It's either will you save me or yeah. will you not save me? Yeah. So he asks him if he believes in God and Jack is like, what a weird ass question. So he's like, uh, do you believe in God? And also like Jack is such a big man of science. Like that's his whole, like his whole thing that he's like, no, Mm. like literally do you know anything about me bro Mm. like you're supposed to know things about me uh and so ben says that two days after he found out about the tumor the tumor a spinal surgeon fell out of the sky um so that means it's been over two months since he found Mm. out um we don't know when the x-rays were taken though because jack said that like you know if unless the x-rays x-rays were recent like things are going to start getting bad for ben very quickly Mm. so since it's been it's been over two months since he found out he had cancer like who's to say it's like how much time yeah how much time he has left so he he says that he believes that that's proof of god why would god want to help ben (laughs) (laughs) thank you Mm. well to be honest though it's a weird it's a weird thing like when you think of the greater plot themes that are being being examined in this episode it is the people coming to a coming face to face with the god to whom they serve or they recognize Mm -hmm. really and when yeah. you think with a character like Ben, Ben has treated himself like his own god, and mm-hmm. ooh, I like that. As a, he's he's also been, 
you know, in that puppet master kind of thing where he has been the one in control, he has seen himself as, for want of a better term, the god over other people. Mm-hmm. So it is a very jarring, discombobulating thing for him to suddenly be like, get cop this massive realisation, not only that now he's not in the driver's seat, at all Mm -hmm. and also he has to rely on a man he's been keeping imprisoned and treating terribly to save his life and suddenly Mm -hmm. the great irony is is that jack is the one in the cage but he's also the one in the driver's seat because essentially that's what ben does is put him in the driver's seat will you save me or won't you yeah i think it's interesting that like they're supposed to know a lot about jack already Mm. so it's weird to me that ben pulls out this huge man of faith thing that like maybe jack will be more willing to help him if he believes that he's been like sent as a message from god for ben yeah you know and and that's like that almost has the opposite effect because jack's like i don't believe any of that stuff that means nothing. But it's also really interesting that, that the tack that Ben takes isn't I'm worth saving. You know, it's right. it's yep. not a it's not a I'm you know, I'm a good person, I've tried to do this, I've tried to do this for the greater good, like you might not have agreed. Like, you know, there's there's none of that. And and I think mm-hmm. on some level, Ben knows that what he's doing to all of these people, it's wrong. Um, so he's he's not even yeah. going to kind of try and enter into that discussion with Jack because Jack knows what he is and he knows what he is. Yeah. But, yeah, I just I found that really interesting that it wasn't about proving why he's worth saving. It's about proving, like, kind of making Jack feel like, well, are you ignoring your purpose if you don't save me? Like, it's Jack's problem. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Like, Ben spent like a week at least in the bunker mm. and dude had cancer the entire time he was getting like tortured by Saeed, mm. which is like crazy. But I also agree that like, he's not trying to say, this is why you should save me. And like, this is why my life is worth saving because I think that he knows that Jack doesn't think his life is worth saving because he's his captor and he's been just spending so much time lying that Ben's like, <laughs> I, I I don't think Ben thinks it's realistic for Jack to believe him about mm, that. Very much so. And I think I think there's sort of like, I, I found it very interesting, like even in the way that Ben speaks to Jack, there was this quite sudden, you know, ripping off of the veil. You know, no, this is what my plan was. This is what my plan was. And, and it's kind of like this... Or is this your new plan? Or is yeah? Or is this your new plan? Yeah. To pretend to tell us that you have a plan. Oh yeah, because he's always playing the long con. Mm, yeah, honestly. So for the last scene in this storyline, Juliet comes to see Jack and puts on a movie. She tells Jack that it's really important for him to do the surgery on Ben because he's a very good man and he deserves to live. However, on the TV, Juliet is holding up cards that are saying the opposite: that Jack should agree to the, do the surgery and purposefully botch it, making it seem like an accident. She turns off the movie and tells Jack to think about it. So obviously there is a camera up in the corner who uh, it's like not clear. I don't think that um, Sawyer and Kate's cameras have audio, Mm. but I think that this one must have audio. Mm. Yeah. Um, Or else Juliet would just tell him how she actually felt. Mm. She comes in the other way. The way that she's she's recently been coming in is just like coming in to like actually see him in his normal cage or whatever. And so now that she's come in like on the other side of the glass, he thinks that she must not trust him mm. anymore. Um, and she says that she does anyway. And uh, she puts in a movie. She says it's To Kill a Mockingbird. And it's the movie version, of course, but I put it in Sawyer's book corner mm. for our uh, our uh, section later to talk a little bit more about To Kill a Mockingbird. I think that's valid. Mm. That's a valid choice. Mm-hmm. 
But I think, too, the fact when you mentioned there that she comes in on the other side of the glass, everything that she does in that scene is that is someone concerned about how they're being seen, about yeah. how they're being perceived. So everything that she does there is what she's privately saying to Jack via the video, uh-huh. but it is what is what is being looked at. And so in a weird yep. way, it's it's sort of like it's 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 quite a funny contrast suddenly with with Ben. Do you know what I mean? Like what am I saying? Yeah. Is it really what I'm saying? Am I in fact doing the opposite to what I'm saying that I'm gonna do? So Yeah. Yeah. Complicated people. They all need therapy. It's like fully two truths that align. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really is. And whereas your your next point or the point that you just made was very very deep, um, my next point was that I thought it was funny that it was called to killing Mo- to kill a mockingbird and it was about killing. Mm. <laughs> oh my god! That Juliet was telling Jack to kill people. Mm. So she says that she's sorry for bringing them and she's sorry about what's happening to them. And, but he really does need to save Ben because he's a good person and please help him. And you have a choice. And she talks about free will. And um, that's like the science version of the man of faith version of fate, mm-hmm. yeah. which is what Locke is constantly talking yeah. about. On the TV, it says, just ignore me. We don't agree with Ben. Please do the surgery, but botch it to get rid of mm. him because um, no one would ever know. It's very complicated surgery. Mm. It's like this this moment, like as you're you're reading it with Jack, you're reading it along with Jack. You're like not listening to what she's saying mm. and you're reading it along with him. And it's kind of, it's such a heart drop. Mm. Oh, it absolutely is. As you're like, oh my God. Absolutely mm. is. And I think the other thing is, is to, is that like Juliet till now, you know, she's, she's sort of like, there's, there's, there's sort of been a line for her. This is sort of one of the first big moments where she's like, kill him, kill a man. Right. She's willing. Yeah. She's finally. Kill a man and I'll cover it up for you. Yeah. It's the first time that she's like. That's a I'll go against deal. them. Yeah. And that but that's that's sort of the really big moment of going, yep, I don't agree with this man. I think you should take his life. I think you should kill him and I will cover it up for you. Botch a surgery and murder someone. Like that's a big deal for someone to it say. Really is. Be like, hey, um, don't worry, I will cover up a murder. And you're like, Well, I, we don't know each other like that yet. Yeah, but thanks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, buy me a drink first, man. Jeez. Exactly. So on Lostpedia, it said that Juliet's video was a reference to um, Bob Dylan's video for subterranean homesick blues. Mm -hmm. In the scene, both Jack and Juliet are subterranean because they are underwater. In later episodes, we, this is not a very big spoiler. We learn that they're both also homesick and blue. Um, And that reference was confirmed on a podcast with Damon and Carlton. Oh, Oh, that's cool. So uh, on the movie, uh, Juliet says to turn to have Jack ask to turn the movie off. And so he he's like, okay, turn the movie off. And she's like, no, why? You want me to turn the movie off? And he's like, yeah, turn it off. And she's like, all right, fine. If you want me to. I guess. <laughs> I didn't tell you to. You made this choice on your own. Yeah. yeah. Free will and all that. Using <laughs> yeah. freaking VHSs. And she so she tells him to think about it and he says he will. Man, using a VHS is such a, such a very old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Like, see, even seeing a VHS, I was like, "What is that? <laughs> it's been a while." Oh, it gave me the feels in my heart. You remember Blockbuster, and there used to be the Be Kind oh, Rewind. Yep. I found my block card, Blockbuster card when I was getting ready to move, and I'll be honest with you, this brought back the same amount of feels. She just put in a videotape, right? I'm like, oh my god. I haven't been in a video store in years. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add before we uh, move on to segments and then the spoiler section, Erin? Uh, no, I think I think I'm good. I just I just find it I I found it really interesting. This 
for me, this was an episode where so many of the overarching themes like dovetailed in like really, really intricate ways in little things, which was Mm -hmm. big. So yes, but I did, well, you know, mostly just appreciation of old Glassface and how good he is at acting because he's just so clever. Yeah. Yep. Really. Old Glassface is my new favorite thing. (laughs) Meanwhile, Jack being a doctor also is like, I can also act. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Watch me. Look at me ask to turn this video off like no one told me to. T- turn it mm. off. I don't want us. I don't want to see this. <laughs> but uh let's uh let's let's jump back mm-hmm. in here, yeah? Let's go. All right. So, we are now going to be doing the lock storyline mm-hmm. stuff that's not as much about Echo. Um, so first of all, Locke knows exactly where Echo is headed and he wants to go to the Pearl, which is basically the same place. So that works out great. Um, and Desmond says that he thinks that the stations can communicate with each other. So that's that's kind of what we're doing. Obviously, um, <laughs> our hatch is toast. So we need another hatch. <laughs> These things happen. So immediately Saeed's like, hey, why is, uh, why is Desmond here? Uh, and Desmond's like, cool, thanks. It's like, thank it's you. Right in I front feel of me. so welcome. <laughs> right in front of me. Cool. Right in front of my salad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So they want to communicate with the other hatches and Hurley and Charlie show up. They say that they looked for Echo, but they couldn't find him. And it was really sweet. They like, they like share a water bottle. Like they're just, mm. they've just been on a trek or something and they're just sharing a water bottle because they're best friends. <laughs> they're best friends. <laughs> um, and so yeah, they're going to the Pearl and the Plain, which is the exact same mm. place. Um, and I love this because Yemi was like, you know where to find me. And Locke knows as well. He, like you know he's he's like yep sure he'll be like yeah i sure I know do. exactly mm-hmm. where i'm going no problem which I loved. Um, so Locke invites whoever wants to come to the pearl and hurley's like uh that's not usually how it works and Locke's like i don't care so <laughs> nikki volunteers to go and paolo's like uh what and nikki's like if we want to be included let's be included we're getting the opportunity oh nikki and paolo <laughs> hurley's like it's kind of weird because it used to be invite only and Locke's like, okay, so do you want to come or do you not want to come? And Hurley's like, I don't want to come. <laughs> mm. It's like, if it's if it's optional, then no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like feeling special. Yeah, he's like, if you're gonna ask me, if you're gonna if you're gonna like give me an invitation, then I'll go. But if you're just like letting whoever go, like Nikki and Paolo, these two yahoos, then I'm not these interested. Two <laughs> it just it's just like it just doesn't mean as much when you give the invitation to everyone i don't feel yeah. special anymore <laughs> oh my it's god like, like, i would i would take the trek but i don't feel special enough so i'm so i won't <laughs> thanks a lot hey everybody we're heading out to the pearl station there's a computer there that might help us find our people anybody want to come along what do you mean anybody want to come along i mean if you'd like to join us it's a free island yeah, see, Jack would go and do stuff alone, or he'd take Saeed or Kate. Yeah, well, I'm not Jack. More the merrier. I'll go. Great. What? Anybody else want to come meet us at the tree line in ten minutes? Bring water. You're not serious. What? You always whine about not being included? Now's their chance. So Nikki and Paolo say that they will go. Well, Nikki says she'll go. And then Paolo's like, I guess I go where Nikki goes. But Nikki said, like, you wanted to be included. uh, And here's your chance. Which is kind of funny because last episode, uh, Paolo was saying to Desmond, like, go off and have fun and do your thing. And if you get killed in the jungle, I don't care. But now now that, and at first you're like, okay, so Paolo is like, oh, cool. You guys are the main characters. Uh, It's smart of me not to get involved. He's aware of what show he's in. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But now that Nikki's like, you want to be included... That kind of like sheds a different light on last episode. Now it turns out that Paolo secretly 
just uh, is really upset that he's not part mm. of it. And so that was that was him complaining. You can't all. blame the man. They do go off and do cool stuff like mm-hmm. all the time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If only he wasn't grossly attractive with fantastic hair on the middle of an island mm-hmm. for no particular reason. Yeah. You Complete know, type. I mean, how does he live, honestly? Well, how does he live without the shampoo? Oh, no. He's he's one of those wonderful people that, you know, his hair just shampoos itself, doesn't it? That's Wish that was me, but it is a not. I bet he even tans evenly. I bet he doesn't even have tan lines. <laughs> what a jerk. You know what? 100% he absolutely just tans naked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who's mad? <laughs> so Desmond asks Locke, are we getting Echo or are we going to the Pearl? And Locke's like, why not both? So um, Locke says, two birds, one stone. Um, now available on iTunes. You can buy that, buy that on iTunes. Watch, uh, <laughs> listen to it on Spotify. And it's a coincidence that the, place, the plane and the Pearl are in the same place. They say, don't mistake coincidence for fate, which we talked about um before and um yeah when echo said it it meant the opposite which was uh very interesting but we talked a little bit about you know that earlier Mm. so we don't have to have to go into Mm -hmm. it again hey just wondering all of vancouver who's setting off horns it's seven oh at seven everybody um cheers for the healthcare workers and that was really lovely from like March to May, but now it's like we're past that. Mm, yeah, now <laughs> it's know? just like just give them a raise. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Give them some extra money. Like they don't they don't want our applause. Mm, they don't. They mean, want what they deserve. Yeah, yeah. They want sleep and a pay rise. Yeah, exactly. Respect. And it, like it's socialized healthcare, right? So you know they're underpaid already. Mm, yeah, support them. <laughs> so once they arrive, after you know finding Echo and everything, which we talked about earlier, once they arrive, Saeed is going to take everyone down to the Pearl, but Locke wants to talk with Echo first, so he's going to go and do that. And Nikki mentions that like Echo's brother's body is in the plane, and I don't know how she would have known that, um, but it's clear that they're trying to insert Paolo and Nikki into the um the storyline and into the show um making us trying to make us believe that they know more than they should Mm. because because we they want us to believe that they've been there the whole time Mm. is basically what i'm trying to say so i don't know how she would have how how she would have learned that but she must have done okay but hurley group gossip not yeah true like not completely right charlie was there so charlie could have told hurley hurley could have told told literally everybody else Mm. precisely yeah Yeah, Charlie's not so that in girlfriend the Pearl, you tell that secret to, is he? Just that, literally. Yeah. Oh my god, he really isn't. Yeah. So in the Pearl, Nikki watches the orientation film. Saeed and Locke check out the circuits, and we learn that we can see people, but no one can see us back. Um, Paolo comes out of the bathroom, and he informs everyone that the toilet works, so thank you so much. Um, Nikki wants to know if any of these other TVs turn on, and because there are obviously supposed to be more hatches. Um, they turn one on, and they see a man with an eye patch, and he manually turns off the camera. So that's spooky. It is. I also like the fact that he sort of looks a bit like Jute Newcomb or like he's just been like, <laughs> yeah. whoops, oh my God, I, he does. I've, I've, I was in Call of Duty, but I've wandered into the wrong, <laughs> the wrong universe. Whoopsie. I just think it's hilarious. Okay, but like, why is that completely accurate? Oh, it's just like, it's. I, I just find it hilarious too, where they were like, nah, he needs to look more intimidating. Give him an eye patch. Mm, give him give an, an eye patch. patch. It's always an eye patch. And it's like, yeah. people who actually have lost their eyes probably don't appreciate this. Yeah. <laughs> no right oh man they're like thanks i have a glass eye <laughs> so watching the orientation film um mr Candleman, as we call him uh is going by mark wickmond at this time it's always candle themed mm-hmm. um and uh nikki obviously wants to know if they can see into other hatches and Locke says he feels really dumb about it um which 
is kind of like out of character for Locke. It feels like uh, Locke probably would have thought about that. So this might be just a let's give Nikki something nice moment. Possibly. I think he's also been spending a lot of time setting himself up as the not Jack. Right. Yep. Like he, he has been spending a lot of time, you know, um, setting setting him like or priming himself up to be like the, well, that's not the way I do business. I recognize that all of you are equal and perhaps all of you want to attend this. And part of that is me showing my humility by acknowledging, wow, I didn't think of that. Hey, girl, good for you being super smart. Oh, sure. <laughs> like, I, I feel like he's like. Yeah, well, I'm feeling real dumb. He's, he's just one of showing is like, I'm the good boss. I am. Right. Look at this. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so, yeah. Again, yeah. still one. He's doing a good job advocating mm-hmm. for himself in mm-hmm. that, like in that case. Oh, he he is selling himself like a box of Girl Scout cookies. Like he's he's yeah. doing so well <laughs> with that. But like a box of Girl Scout cookies, it's so accurate. So Nikki obviously now feels like she helped, and she's like, "Thank yeah. you." Um, and then Paolo, who is uh, on the opposite side, just not helping in the slightest, <laughs> just wanted to use the bathroom. And you know what? I can't blame him because it must be nice to use a toilet after like three months. I know, yeah. right? Like, take yourself, I'm Paolo. Yeah, I bet there was loo paper as well. That was the look of satisfaction of a man that there was toilet paper available. <laughs> yes. Yep. My what? Are, what? Are, what are Jack Sawyer and Kate doing bathroom wise? Just wondering. Just going on the ground, mm. I guess. It's not. I feel like like Kate. Kate can probably ask Friendly to just take her to the bathroom because he's so, like, weird about her right now. Mm. Um, so they can see some sort of computer room and Paolo's like, okay, he just wants to leave. And they see the creepiest of the creepy. Uh, he's eye patch guy. We can call him eye patch guy if you want, but we do eventually learn his name. So it's probably, like, for the sake of brevity, we might as well just call him by his name, which is Mikhail. Mm. And uh, he must have, like, seen a light or something on the camera, like a red light that kind of, I guess, if I were to guess would um like signal to him that somebody's watching him mm. there's no way he didn't see something yeah and so he turns it off himself uh it's weird to me that we never saw one of those like in our hatch like in the swan mm. where where were those cameras and did they also have red <laughs> red flashing lights who's to say Desmond's um, like i don't appreciate being spied on thank you <laughs> so other than that like the next thing that we see in the pearl is like when Locke goes up to find echo so that's kind of like that's kind of it on that. Um, first of all, Echo is stuck sleeping and has been for a few days. Saeed tries to diagnose him, but he isn't a doctor, and so they leave him inside the tent. Um, first of all, we open on Echo's eye, which of course is a theme and what they like to do on this show. Um, he's been in REM sleep for a few days because his eyes keep moving back and forth, and you can tell. Protect him. Um, Jack's not around, so Saeed has to diagnose him, and um, Saeed's like, what happened? And Charlie's like... Uh, before or after we saved him from the polar bear cave. So basically a lot. <laughs> like a lot has gone on. So Locke is going to want to know that Saeed's son and Jin are back. So Locke is obviously the de facto leader. And we'll talk about that later. Um, and Hurley says, stay alive, dude. And you know what? He can't hear you, but please send him good vibes. Like, I really think that's lovely. I think Hurley thinks that good vibes keep people alive. And I think that he's probably right. He's like, maybe if I say that, then then he'll he'll really do it. He's so precious. There was a little a little bit of a blooper here. Uh, on Lostpedia, it said when Hurley, Saeed, and Charlie are in the tent with Echo, there's a there's sunlight filtering through, making it in the middle or during the day. Yet in the next island shot, they're walking away from the tent and it's nighttime. Oh, I wondered about that. <laughs> that was a bit of an oops. <laughs> you know what? You can't get it right all the time. Yeah. There was probably like a deleted scene or something in there. There might have been. Actually, yeah, they had some stuff on deleted scenes on Lostpedia, but uh, I don't have that ready for you right now. Oh, okay. Well, so thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. Now I'll never know. 
in his trance, Echo remembers a bunch of his flashbacks from the 23rd Psalm. He wakes to a vision of Yemi who tells him that it's time to be judged and Echo should know where to find him. And he does. Um, so he's remembering things. And now the joke that he makes about confession in uh, in that flashback makes a little bit more sense. Yes. Um, it's a little bit of just exposition, but it's very brief. So like, I'll allow it. <laughs> Um, he has this vision of Yemi, and Yemi somehow has a lighter for some reason, and he says that it's time to confess, which of course is a parallel to the flashback. Echo can't really seem to talk either, which is kind of like Locke from a few episodes ago. Oh yeah, when yeah. he was totally like- Mute for a second. Actually mute. Yeah. And then he says, you know where to find me, which is where his body is, so Echo's like, I do know where to find you, great. <laughs> Echo's tent somehow catches fire? The lighter that Yemi was holding, I guess? Yeah, I was like, okay, so if- if that was a delusion, how did the fire catch? Yeah, that weeded me. Actually. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think that's what they're trying to tell us is that, um, because the last time that we saw Yemi, it was only in dreams. He was in Echo's dream and he was in Locke's dream. That was at the end of last season in, in question mark. And um, so I think that before now, because throughout the episode, we see him like actually as a physical person. Mm -hmm. This is like the first time that they're like showing us specifically because we did just see Yemi or Echo asleep. And so we might as well think, okay, he's just in a dream again. And so him holding the lighter and dropping it, I guess, and having the tent go up in flames, I think, is a way to signify to us that he was not just a dream. He yeah, was actually like that was there. an actual person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think there's, we could have spoiler thoughts about that for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. mm, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he's just, uh, what were you going to say, Aaron? Were you going to say something? Yeah, well, I just, I think one of the, one of the things that was interesting with, with this, with, his brother like I don't know maybe I'm getting slightly ahead of myself and you can totally tell me if I am if I'm in the wrong section of the discussion to say this but sure. this was like a massive episode of foreshadowing mm -hmm. like in really big and really tiny ways and so I felt like um sort of having Yemi like be there and sort of be challenging Echo about judgment and the things that he'd done and making him kind of think back over his life right as he's on the cusp of it ending, knowing that that was sort of tangled with Locke mm -hmm, mm -hmm. being so close to that story. Like I felt like there were things sort of playing out in front of us that we didn't realise, if that makes sense. Like I feel like it, it was definitely – um, you know, that moment where Echo is down by the river and he mm -hmm. looks up and the moment that he sees the black smoke is almost the exact same moment he sees Locke. Right. Yeah. That's a good Ooh, point. I never noticed that. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, um, and also that idea of, um, you know, this thing being able to take corporeal form and have a physical effect on people. Like I think mm -hmm. there, there was, there was a lot that I think they were trying to highlight, Hey, this is possible this presence has this capability on the island. So mm -hmm. yeah, I was, I had to go back and watch that a couple of times. Yeah. Um, that's that a is, point. that's a really good catch. Cause I didn't pick up on that lock connection either. Yeah, yeah. I picked up on a couple of other times specifically, but like, I didn't even think about the lock thing. Oh, oh she's a genius. Oh no. Well, it was one where this, this was an episode that I actually, I actively got up this morning. So it's about 1138 here at the moment in the morning. So I got up this morning before breakfast and I rewatched the episode again, just to be yeah. like, I just, I just want to go back through. Cause I think it's, it's, it's an important thing. Sometimes I think when you're going to discuss it, to watch it through a few times <laughs> and yeah, I just yes. found myself this morning going back through it going I, di I didn't even think of that before and it's and it's not just with Echo like I found all of these connections when I was watching I'm like oh my gosh they were 100% trying to tell us 
things about what yep. was to come in yeah so but that that was a creepy moment for me when he looks up and as soon as the black smoke there lock is right there mm-hmm. and she's like hmm what does this possibly mean <laughs> we'll find out later mm-hmm. <laughs> so back on the beach um charlie and hurley grab echo from out of the flames and he's muttering about yemi and Locke asks what happened but by the time that charlie can tell him echo is already gone um it didn't really seem like he was physically up to that so i was like a little bit like, okay. Yeah, what the hell? He's literally laying there. He's been pulled from a fire. And then there's like kind of this weird moment where like Charlie runs to Locke and then Locke comes in and he's gone. And I'm like, this was a little bit clunky, mm-hmm. to Especially be honest with you. He was fully <laughs> unconscious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the next scene in this storyline is Echo just stumbling through the jungle, jungle and he just collapses. They've got a couple of these throughout the episode in which we just get a very small snippet just so that they can um, then transition to the flashback. Which was, okay, that's fine. Because mm. um, when they transition to a flashback, they almost always have to like be on the face of the person whose flashback they're going mm-hmm. into. So that's why they have to have like these small little transition scenes to get to the flashback. Mm. Um, unless they're like coming specifically like right from commercial okay <laughs> then they'll do it you know um so that's that little scene it's just him stumbling around and then collapsing okay um echo wakes up in the jungle being circled by the smoke monster he has delusions of the men that he killed in the flashbacks and as he's going to strike him down as he did in the past the vision turns to young daniel and echo stops himself everyone disappears and echo is alone again so i think that unlike yemi it's pretty clear that these are actually visions yeah yeah whether they're coming from the same sort of thing that Yemi is coming from or like just Echo's mind is something that we can talk about in the spoilers section. Um, But I think that because of them, like Yemi, even though his body is already so decomposed, you see him as like a fully formed person. Mm. Yeah. So I feel like it's like, kind of a hint that like this isn't the body standing there yeah they're like uh because you you see the one guy whose arm echo cut off and the guy whose throat is slit etc and obviously you know daniel um and it's just kind of uh flickering in and out you know? yeah sorry our mics have just started randomly beeping at us for no reason <laughs> they're excited you're saying very impressive things your microphones are just like oh my gosh she's so smart <laughs> You're like, that's a good point. That's what's, good going point? On? what's going on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Echo wakes up and the smoke monster is circling him. Obviously, he pulls up a walking stick because Echo can't live his life without having a walking stick. Um, and he begins seeing the other members of the militia from the flashback. Um, Emeka pleads for his life just like he did in the flashback. And he's going to strike him again. So he wouldn't change what he did. I think that that is a, some foreshadowing to just the end of this episode mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, um, he's supposed to confess and repent, etc. And he says that he doesn't regret what he did and he would do it over and over again. So I think that even though he felt maybe some shame around what happened in the flashbacks this episode, it's clear that he would, he would have just done it again because he does it again here. I think that's like a massive moment of him just saying like, yeah, I would make all these choices again because they're what I thought I needed to do. Mm-hmm. There's something very, really powerful about a character like that. And that's why it's so sad that he didn't like keep on because I think a lot of these characters are like that. Mm-hmm. But he was just so 
somehow unrepentant and repentant at the same time. And I think that's fascinating. Echo is so interesting too, because like Locke is always the main man of faith, but um, bringing in Echo was like, he was obviously uh, also a huge man of faith, but in a different way. And so it was really cool to have that sort of like contrast between the two of them when we also have so many different kinds of man of science. Exactly. Yeah. And I think too, I think like even with a character like Locke, he sort of always has that very philosophical answer to things mm-hmm. like there's there's always yeah. something that sort of makes him sound like a little book of zen you know when he's answering <laughs> yeah. things um but i think the thing with with echo is that his kind of man of faith capacity stemmed from a much darker beginning you know in the sense that mm-hmm. like you know the the person who's you know, there's never a person who appreciates more being at a feast than someone who knows what it is to be starving kind of and it's a mm-hmm. little bit of that same mentality of you know echo comes from an extremely dark place um so his position of faith kind of comes from loss and knowing the chance that he's been given um a second time around and the things that he says you know their their profundity kind of lies in the life experience that you know that has brought him to that moment whereas with john i don't know there's there's always just that slight element of manipulation and game playing that i find with him as a character whereas there's none of that same agenda with echo so it's two very conflicting men of faith in that sense so Uh yeah I I really like that that point because uh, if I can like skip forward a little bit, um, Mm. Locke using uh, don't mistake coincidence for fate, which of course was a line that Echo said to him um, in season two. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, But one of my favorite things that I noticed about that rewatching it was that when Echo said it in season two, um, Locke was saying, uh, like Echo had just given him, I think it was 209, Mm. um, Locke had just given him, or sorry, Echo had just given Locke um, the other piece of the orientation tape that had been that had been cut out of the orientation tape, um, and Locke was so excited he was like, "I like I can't believe this happened that you found this part and I found this part and now we're coming together." And Echo said, "Don't mistake coincidence for fate." And what he was saying is, "This might just be a coincidence, and you're taking it as fate." Yeah, mm-hmm. you like, don't need to do that. He's using it as validation of his own faith, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. And then here in this episode, Desmond is like, "So are we like?" It's it's interesting that, like, what a coincidence that Echo is going to the same place that we are for two different things. And Locke says, don't mistake coincidence for fate. And so in the way that Echo is saying, you're mistaking a coincidence for fate, mm-hmm. Locke mm-hmm. is saying, you're mistaking fate for coincidence. Yeah. And I was like, that's interesting. That's mm. fascinating. It is. And it's an incredible kind of, it's this, it's a very strange mirror of comparison showing showing up what they are um and I think too like that was one of the I I kind of like Desmond's sort of part that he played in all of this too um in that he he he's kind of like a good little side commentary if you know sort of of what's going on so I was every now and then Desmond would just be would say something and I'd be like you said what I was thinking I'm so glad you're here (laughs) thank Mm -hmm. you he's the peanut gallery he is He's he's that guy talking in the movie theater, going, "Trust me, I see this too. Yeah. Yep. alone. I'm feeling you. Yep. I'm right there with you." <laughs> oh, I love it. But Locke loves to do this thing where he takes people's like advice or words and twists them to his own agenda, mm. and it feels like that's exactly what's happening here. Is that Echo gave him some actual advice because Echo 
his faith stems from religion and Locke doesn't know anything about religion. He really truly is just taking it as I'm special and this island is special. And so yeah, Locke's religion is the island. Yeah. But I think that's, that's a really good point too, in the sense though, that I think, you know, I know that kind of man of faith is used about Locke, but I think to me, that's a very real differentiation between religion and Mm -hmm. faith you know, in the sense that Locke is very much the the guru of his his own religion, you know, that, that mm-hmm. kind of um, everything he sort of says is to affect a particular kind of action in mm-hmm. other people, you know, um, whereas with Echo, his faith um, stems from a place of, I don't know, I just find it more authentic. I find mm-hmm. it earthier and, and more real, whereas with, with Locke, I'm like exactly like what you say there. You know, he can take the same words and nuance them just enough Yeah, that people don't know, people can't tell. And, yeah, oh, man, mm-hmm. now I want to punch John Locke again. <laughs> just just a little bit, almost always. Yeah. Mm. I'm like, sir, you're such a tragedy, and I respect the heck out of that, but sometimes the decisions you make, yikes. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um... He's going to kill Emeka again, but then it becomes Daniel, mm. um, who tells him to confess, and then everyone disappears. So um, there you go. That's that that one's definitely a vision mm. rather than a, a physical person. Yeah. Um, and then we've got another small transition scene in which he just kind of makes it to the river and drinks. So I guess this water is safe. It's, <laughs> I guess, uh, <laughs> sure. I love when they just randomly will do stuff like that, and you just kind of go, okay, yeah, no, they've already checked this out. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. They just know. So Echo continues to drink from the river, but here's the monster. It's over his shoulder now, but it flees when Locke and Co. arrive. Um, he puts some mud on his chest. I don't really know why. I think that has something to do with his wound, doesn't it? Oh, right. So maybe it's maybe. like overheating or something. And he's I was just going to say something like that. Yeah. Cooling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, also mud in open wound. Well, it's bandaged. Mm. But still, it's that's too close. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little. Mm, I'm a little concerned. Yeah. Um, he hears the monster, sees the monster over his shoulder. Um, does the monster flee because of Echo or because of Locke and that Locke has shown up? Locke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, nobody else is supposed to see me today. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? I relate to that so much, you know? Like, I feel like I, when whenever people are like, hey, we should go outside, I'm like, no one else is supposed to see me today. I literally was explaining <laughs> to Sam earlier, I'm like, I feel such high anxiety when I go outside and I'm walking and I don't have my car. Because I don't have somewhere to hide and prepare myself for other people to perceive me as a person. <laughs> I'm not like, ready to I human. Don't make me human. It's so awkward. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Oh, but yeah. see, this is the thing. I think I think the smoke, to me, there's a real intelligence inside that. You know, mm-hmm. it knows and it bides its time. Like you think it chooses when to be smoke. And it chooses when to be Echo's brother. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a real intelligence to that. And so to me, it's not so much a, I don't want to be seen. I've been kind of, you know, it's hiding. I don't think it's hiding at all. I think it's choosing its moment. Because it, it reveals itself to mm-hmm. different people yeah. at different times. Yeah. And it's not Locke's time. It's, it's, yeah. And it's it's kind of like, it's almost like this big chess game. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's thinking ahead. Um, so yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it's afraid of anything. Yeah. I... I think that it's like, I'm like, I can't tell if at this point we're supposed to 
know that like it's the smoke who's like showing up and being yummy but at the same time it's so heavy-handed it's extremely oh. obvious it's like, like those are the only two characters characters that he's talking to exactly today. that like it that's just it has to be what it is well, what else would it be that transition shot where you see it go from yummy to the smoke you're like yeah. oh, okay like that is where you could plausibly put together that's the same thing mm, yeah I agree. especially like i i love how um later in the episode um echo after yummy has been like oh you talk to me as if i'm your brother echoes yelling who are you who are you and then the smoke comes behind him mm, precisely that. and it's like you're answering your own question that's yeah. it yeah um so echo walks with everyone else he doesn't want to take a break uh lock brings up yemi and echo freaks out putting a knife to lock's throat he says not to mention yemi lock says that it would be okay if they took a break but echo obviously doesn't want to and he's very serious about lock not saying yemi's name but um in the question in question mark the episode 221 um he literally like told him what his name was mm -hmm. i think like he's very serious about this and literally threatens lock's life about it and i'm I'm not really sure why. I think it's kind of a keep his name out of your mouth kind of thing. I think he's sort of, oh, hmm, yeah. you know, there's that. I don't know. There are moments with Echo where it's almost like I feel like he sees Locke better than other people do. Um, and yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think the opposite is correct as well, especially in this moment when he yeah. says, what are you so afraid of? He can see the fear in his eyes. Exactly. And you can tell, and like, he's also, he's also heavily conflicted. Like, you know, obviously he's dealing with, he's dealing with the entity, but he's also heavily injured and he's hallucinating. So his own mind plus external factors are all playing parts here. And mm -hmm. kind of the one person who's come back and is sort of, the harbinger of death, so to speak, or, you know, that, that point of judgment is his, not only his brother who he loved and he was trying to protect and trying to keep safe, but he's also the brother in the priest's uniform, you know, that, and, and, and in that there was like, you think back to the first seat, like right at the start of the episode, mm -hmm. that's where he first encounters the priest uniform on someone else in judgment, confess, confess, confess. So right. yep, you know, yeah. it's kind of like this person that he loves and this idea that he's not going to bow to all tangled up in the same person. And he's forced to kind mm -hmm. of confront both of them and his grief and his shame and his own reckoning kind of all at once while he's mm -hmm. really under the weather. So <laughs> yeah, true. yeah. Yeah, I know me. I don't make my best decisions when I'm feeling well. So, yeah, you know what? Same. I I I love that because I did. I didn't even consider it. It's been such a long time for us that it feels like Locke and Echo must have reconciled. Mm. But literally, Echo hasn't even spoken to Locke since Locke basically betrayed him mm. by like locking him out of yep. the computer room. Exactly. The only time that they've spoken is like potentially just a vision that Locke saw mm -hmm. um of echo and so like you're right i didn't even consider the fact that they haven't even hardly talked about what happened in there other than Locke talking to echo's unconscious body being like i'm sorry i should have listened to you yeah but i don't even know if echo heard that because he was unconscious you know and i think and, like they don't really get closure after that either yeah they don't and there's very much echo always kind of struck me as that kind of character where you know that old adage, like once people show you who you are for the first, show them who they are, show you who they are for the first time, believe them. I think, yeah. I think Echo saw, saw the actual John Locke in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's any undoing that in any particular way. So 
Yeah, I don't know. And it's sort of even even the bit where he doesn't want John to say his brother's name. It's almost like he knows that John is a person who twists things and I don't think he wants his brother that he obviously still loves and and grieves. He's like, you're not going to use this person and the memory of them and this situation. You're not going to twist that to your own ends. So don't even say it. And I had so Mm -hmm. much time for that. Um, And it made me really sad. I got a bit teary actually watching this again this morning because I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. They both have like so much faith in them, but their faith is just rooted in such different oh. ideologies and such different agendas. So, much. so I think like Locke's very much like, as you said, is very much, um, he always has an agenda. Mm. And I think Echo is just, he tries to just let what's supposed to happen happen. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's a very physical thing for Echo. Like so many of the the things that like you even look at the, the way the, the camera shots were framed around him and the things that they chose to highlight, whether it was in his flashbacks or whether, you know, it was actually on the island, they were very physical things, either of, you know, his eyes moving under his skin or Mm -hmm. him having to wash his hands after killing those men. You know, there were a lot of really pointed moments in this episode where they focus on the physical manifestation of of Echo's beliefs and his actions and why he's done what he's done. And it's it's literal blood on his hands. You know, there's nothing mm-hmm. cerebral about it. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I never thought about that. So as they try and get into the plane, a, a couple things happen also, but it, it's more rooted in the Locke storyline and the Pearl storyline. So I kind of skipped through it, mm-hmm. but um, they try and get into the plane. Uh, Locke chats with Echo about seeing the monster and Echo is like not into talking about it. <laughs> uh, Locke says that what he saw was beautiful, but Echo did not have that experience. Um, once they get inside the plane, they find that Yemi's body is missing. So Locke thinks that Echo saw the monster, and I think, and obviously he did, and I wonder if that's what Locke saw, like, in Echo's eyes when he had that knife to his throat, because he's just making this leap, and he's right. Oh. Locke says that he saw it as a white light, but Echo obviously saw it as black smoke, so that's another, you know, light and dark theme that we've got going on in this show um and Locke says that he saw something beautiful but echo did not he's like that's not what i saw so what exactly did you see back there i saw it once you know what did you see i saw a very bright light it was beautiful that is not what i saw Okay, yeah, remind me, when did Locke see the quote-unquote white light? Yeah, it was in season one, and I can't remember, like, exactly what episode it was, but everybody thought that he was dead, so I'm like, it could have been, it could have been Walkabout, but basically, like, the monster was after him, and almost, like, pulled him into that hole, and right, okay. all that, so yeah. okay. So there was a fun fact on Lostpedia. It said that in the final clip show, which was called Lost, The Final Journey, um, Terry O'Quinn revealed that Locke interpreted seeing the monster as having a special relationship with the island. So I knew it. Yeah. And so he, him and then apparently Echo are the only two people, at least in Locke's mind, who have seen the, the monster. And so he kind of sees them on a similar footing. Mm. Okay. Which I think he would have been really jealous of last season, but this season it seems like he he's come around to having an, another person have a special relationship with the yeah. island. The jealous. Yeah. My friend can have another friend. Okay, that's okay. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, that's literally it. It feels yeah, it feels like growth that he's not jealous. Yeah. Oh man. Especially since he then sees Ego die for it. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Yeah. I'm in danger. Yeah. <laughs> 
So there's like a giant rock in front of the opening of the plane. Um, the last time we saw the plane, I believe it was uh, Charlie and Echo burning the plane. So I was wondering if like that, I guess, was put there after he and Charlie burned it, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, and Yemi's body is missing. And um, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the spoiler section. Yeah, I had some questions about like Yemi's body being missing because they burned it. Yeah. And then they went inside and nothing really looked burned. And I oh was my like, God. Huh? Oh my God. Me and Brittany were rewatching the episode today, and Yemi's outfit has like white stuff. Oh all my over god, it. duh! And we were like, "Is it dust? Is it drugs? It's occurring. To- it's ashes. It's ashes." Yeah. <laughs> so interesting thing there. There is actually a particular piece of religious symbolism there as well mm-hmm. of the stone yeah. being rolled away and the man of God not being <gasps> there. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh, my God. Duh. Oh, she's a genius. Mm. So I was she's watching this. So that, there was that insane moment. Because I, I remember watching that and being like, damn, you strong. Like, I thought my friend that helped me move and lift my fridge on his own the other day was strong. But I was like, girl, <laughs> you know, you got noodles for arms, um, compar- <laughs> comparatively speaking. like. But that was that was kind of like a real sort of... I, I I think there is something very definite here. But yes, so fun fact, something I noticed this morning. I, I'm really glad that you brought that up because uh, I went to Sunday school for like maybe a year once. So, um, and, and of course, Echo's episodes are always so filled with religious mm-hmm. yeah. stuff. I went to Catholic school, but I couldn't tell you what I learned there because it was American Catholic school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it was a little different. No, I say I was a ch- I was a church kid always growing up, mm-hmm. and so that was that was one of the things that I found it I found it really interesting that like lost is uh, Locke is the one that hands the crucifix back to him. Like yes. it was just this. Oh, it was it was just a moment. This this was a huge huge episode of symbolism for me, but that was a massive one. I think particularly given the fact that like they you know they board up the church, you know these mm-hmm. these physical very physical things with him. But yes, I was like oh, I was really difficult too because I watched it really early this morning, and um, I'm hanging out with my parents till I move into my new house, so I had to ha- not have that moment this morning where I was like oh my god, really loud while they were yeah. asleep. It's not really- <laughs> Are you all right? <laughs> they wake up, they're like, really? This is what you woke us up for? <laughs> yes, that's exactly. You're like, what else did you expect, really? It's all right. Go back to sleep. Everything's fine. Well, it's not fine for him, but it's fine. Go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love you. So um, Locke offers some like normal explanations, but Echo doesn't take them. Locke's going to head down to the Pearl, but Echo says that he does not want to come. And Locke gives Echo back his cross necklace. So Locke basically says it could have, like burned when you burned it or it could have been taken by animals but I think Echo feels like that sort of like void and he can tell that um something sinister Mm -hmm. potentially happened here um Echo still has this photo of them as kids from the flashbacks I we we've never seen this photo I don't think other than now I don't know if he's had it all this time or if it was just like zooted into his pocket just for right now or something I'm not sure zooted into his pocket it was in the it was in the bible you remember yeah in the yeah, in the flashback. Mm. So I'm like, where? But where? When? It, how did? I don't remember him ever having it on the island. But that could have just been a me, a me thing. True. Actually, here, you know what? Let me look it up. I'm gonna go on. Lost. <laughs> <laughs> I love when Robin comes across an answer that she just absolutely has to have right now. Yeah, I'm going on Lost I'm gonna go and look it up. <laughs> oh, and look, worst comes to worst, we can just live. You know, live tweet. We can just be like, "Yo, dudes, yo, dudes, who wrote this episode? Generally, explain, explain it now, fix it." Fix it. Fix it. Fix it now. 
They actually have been like I wanted I wanted in the DVD extras and I want it now. Well, like we were looking through the DVD extras because Robin was looking for a lost in location and they split up the DVD extras between where you bought them. <gasps> so in order to watch the lost in location, you have to have the specific DVD purchased from Walmart in like what 2007 yeah it's it was so okay. weird yeah i i found it on youtube so it was fine but i was like excuse me i have the collector's edition <laughs> blu-ray set i think i deserve to have this but okay oh, it's man. just like the oddest way of like gatekeeping like content i'm like why would you do this just put it all on the internet yeah exactly give the people what they want like i've never that's never happened to me before so it's like is that like the only thing that that happened to i have no idea just oh, oh, remember the days of bonus features oh yes i loved those sometimes when i'll tell you what if you're ever looking for a really great bonus feature just an aside a movie called two weeks notice with hugh grant and sandra bullock i love that movie watch watch that with the dvd commentary on because it's the morning after the golden globes he's extremely hungover <gasps> And still a tiny bit drunk, and it is one of the funniest things I have ever heard in my life. You are welcome. Oh my god! <laughs> he actively says that I just got home from the Golden Globes. It's great. Mm. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. I can't find nothing about this heckin' photo. No. Oh, okay. So I think it's it's just here. Uh, but t- to be fair though, that's probably I can see that being something that he would take with him. Like yeah, 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 yeah. So. So Locke says, do you want to come down to the Pearl? And Echo says, no. Um, Locke found the cross necklace in 303. And so um, he gives it back to him. Um, Be nice to your friend Locke. That's nice. That's nice of him. Good guy, Locke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Echo sees Yemi again and follows him into the jungle. Echo doesn't feel that he has sinned, so he is not confessing. He doesn't regret doing any of the things that he did to save Yemi. The Yemi vision reveals that it is not, in fact, Yemi, and Echo is horrified. He continues to follow him, though, and finds himself face-to-face with the monster. The monster grabs him and flings him about, hitting him against a bunch of stuff. So, the tragedy of this is that Echo's story will ultimately always be slightly unfinished. Yeah. Because you will never discover why that entity showed himself to him or why he was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's never really brought up. It's never really brought up again. No. Uh, which is, like, too bad when people say that Lost has a lot of uh, unanswered questions. Unfortunately, this is kind of one of them yeah. because mm-hmm. um, we, we just don't get a lot of answers about Echo after this uh, after this episode. Which is a shame because he raised so many important questions. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's one of the things that I always found sad. I often wondered if he had have stuck around how his relationship with Locke would have played out because they did mirror yeah. each other so darkly. Um, but, yeah, I did find it really interesting, though, that, like, in that moment he still chose to recite the Lord's Prayer. Like, still, mm-hmm. I, I did find that, like, kind of a really powerful moment of him. I don't kind of just saying, like, not that I'm not afraid of you, but, like, I don't know. I, there, I, it, I, it sounds like it was his way of saying there is still something bigger than you. And I trust that. Right. Ooh, oh my God, yeah. I like that. And and to me, that was one of the reasons that I thought, even though it's an it's 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 an early death for the character, I think that's still mm-hmm. what gave it meaning because it had depth and it had conviction and mm-hmm. and I believed him, you know, yeah. in the end. I think that was the thing. I think yes, it's a sad loss, but yeah. I think it was I think it's better done than we sort of give it credit for sometimes. You know, that's, I think a, you're that's right. a really good point because like if we can say so many good things about it, um, like thinking about the um not so great deaths that we recently got on the last season of the hundred, <laughs> um, if this is one of the worst deaths that Lost does, then that's its own 
prize, exactly. you know, and exactly. it's, own, so and its own, um, like, award, basically. And I think there's a, there's a, the thing too with it is that even knowing the fact that for his own personal reasons, like the actor had to be written out, there was still a genuine respect for the character yeah. and yeah. the part that they played in the narrative and go, okay, well, if you are going to leave, we're going to make it matter and worth yeah. something. And I think, you know, that was you know, comparatively speaking, because, you know, I know we've mentioned the hundred a couple of times. It's it's one of those ones where um there was it's it's so profound watching something where you think there is a profound respect, yes, for the person acting this character, but for the character themselves, knowing that there will be people out there who will have connected with that. And you're mm-hmm. respecting yep. that connection in the way that you write them to life and write them into death. So, you know, hopefully somebody one day maybe watches a YouTube clip and learns how to write better deaths for television. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that man's never going to write again. <laughs> no, he's, 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 he's a middle-aged white man in Hollywood. He will have plenty more opportunities to disappoint us. Oh, I hate that. Mm. It's true. Oh, well, well, not me personally. <laughs> never yeah. watching it again. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, you will not catch either one of us ever watching another one of his programs ever yeah. again. Mm-mm. <laughs> I float myself. <laughs> so can you um, add any uh, insight to this, Aaron, uh, that... The field that Echo finds himself in with the vision of Yemi is littered with red flowers. So I'm not sure of the flower itself, like sort of what Mm -hmm. the connection there was. But one of the things that I did notice is that when you looked, so we mentioned the fact that, you know, when he's he's at home, you know, it is sort of shot in yellow and there was, you know, colour as it appears on screen is, is sort of a very underlying part of the narrative telling you kind of what's mm-hmm. happening and I think it's worth noting that you know Echo when he's having those moments of revelation he's really quite it's it's just green it's just him in the jungle but those moments yeah. where he's being confronted there is a pop of color so you think of like the guys that he killed in the church when they come back they're in bright clothes in the jungle yeah. so there's that real pop of color the kid real pop of color there Mm -hmm. and it's the same with his brother there in the sense that when he's out there um being confronted by you know the entity in yemi's form that it's all green but there are these real i don't know like i found them kind of like blood like red was a really important color for Echo in this episode, yeah. you know, he's washing the blood off his hands. He's doing that. And you saw the characters that he killed, they, they were in red colours and now he's here in a field sort of with red blooms. And, look, maybe they, maybe that's something they intended, maybe it's something that they didn't. But for me, I, to me that's what it looked like. It almost looked like wounds, like bullet wounds. I know. Yeah. yeah. I think I had the same thought. It evokes blood. Mm. Well, they, they've done something on purpose like this before. Like one of the things that they did like for the pilot is that J.J. Abrams, who was directing the pilot, specifically asked for there to be like no red in the costumes, mm. no anything. He wanted there to only be red when it was blood. Yeah. Um. So so I I think that that has to have been purposeful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Um, and I think too, like, it, color, color has such a massive association in this. Like, this, whenever I think of blue in this, I always think of the nun figurines in the plane. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's, there's certain colors that you just, for, for better or worse, you, you will always kind of associate with particular things. So, but yeah. Shannon and pink. Yes. Oh. So much. So much. And like, 
I, I don't know. I think that that's one of the, the things, and I suppose Hawaii is an amazing backdrop for this in the sense that um, colour is so, you know, massive there. But, yeah, I, I do definitely think that they wanted to tell a little bit of the story through the colours they used in that scene. So mm-hmm. mm. so he gives Yemi back his cross and he specifically says that he does not ask for forgiveness uh, because he does not believe that he has sinned. And I think that this obviously parallels the beginning of the episode when the nun tries to get him to confess, but he doesn't regret what he did. Mm. So why why should I confess? Yep. And I wonder if like if this is like the reason why he's killed by the smoke monster because he doesn't regret it. I don't know. He did what he needed to survive. And he talks about how Daniel once asked him if he was a bad man. And, you know, he has killed people, but he doesn't, like, he's not sorry. Um, He gets on his knees and he says, of course, that he did the best with the life that he was given. I ask for no forgiveness, Father. For I have not sinned. I have only done what I needed to do to survive. A small boy once asked me if I was a bad man. If I could answer him now, I would tell him that when I was a young boy, I killed a man to save my brother's life. I am not sorry for this. I I am proud of this. Iconic. Incredible. Mm, Yeah. Definitely. And I think too, it depends on what you consider the entity's presence to be, what like what its purpose is. Yeah, exactly. You know, if its purpose is there to be a source of judgment, then then okay. But if it's mm-hmm. if it's its own evil entity, which is what I think it is, mm-hmm. I think it saw an adversary in I think it saw an adversary in Echo that, you know, that it perhaps did, didn't see in other people. And because, you know, he, in the end, for better or worse, even like right in that last moment, Echo still looked it in the eye. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he didn't, he didn't cower. He didn't stick his face in. Like he just stood there and looked that bastard in the face. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, I, and. What a king. I know. I absolutely right. And like, you know, I just, for, for me, that was such a profound moment of even in death, incredible strength. Mm. So, yeah. So then we get the reveal of you speak to me as if I were your brother. Mm. And it's like, why couldn't you just let me believe you were my brother? Because that would make me feel better, you know? Exactly. It's cathartic to even just talk at my brother without you telling me that you're not him. So he keeps following him and he gets face to face with it. And yeah, we kind of talked about this already, but um, the lost in location for this episode that I had a hard time finding the wire work for the stunt team was very, very specific because they needed to, it needed to be CGI. Oh, okay. Um, and be, yeah, the whole the whole Lost in Location was mostly about like this scene of him getting like pushed up against um, the trees and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which was pretty cool to to see um, like the pulleys and the um, like the pistons and stuff that they were using it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So lastly, in this storyline, um, in the Pearl, they hear the commotion and run back up. Locke finds Echo, who is very badly hurt. He tries to comfort him, and Echo whispers in her in his ear. Echo dies, and Locke reveals that what he said was, we're next. So yeah, by, by the time that Locke gets there and everybody else gets there, the monster is gone. And we get like a flash of Echo and Yemi as children as Echo dies, which is really lovely. And he said, 
we're next, which is kind of confusing because um, Locke says, oh, he said we're next. And I couldn't tell if he said, quote, we're next, including Echo in him, like in the thing, Mm -hmm. or if he said you're next and Locke is paraphrasing what he said. (laughs) Thank you yet again, John Locke, for your clarity or complete lack thereof (laughs) in a key moment. My gosh. I'm like, which one? I don't know if it matters, obviously, because now Echo is dead. So either way, you guys are also next. But I was like, which one is it, though? Well, which, did he say we're next or did he say you're next? I think he said we're next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I think it's interesting. Like you mentioned you mentioned before about, you know, kind of that idea of why couldn't you just let me believe that you were my brother? And I think it's mm-hmm. interesting is that the image that he had of the entity when it was being his brother was that he was still dead. He was still in the clothes that he died in. And you could tell there yeah. was ash and everything. But the true moment that Echo has his reconciliation is in the moment when he was most alive with his brother, when he mm-hmm. was home, and that's yeah. the last thing that that he gets. So in the end, I kind of liked that little bit because aside from thinking that, you know, Echo maybe was reunited with his family, it was almost a little bit of a, like, you didn't win to the entity. Yeah. <laughs> which I think yeah. was genuinely threatening him with, like, I'm going to end you. Um yeah, it's quite a quite a moment. So lastly, for this storyline, I had a thing from Lostpedia, and it said that Echo is the second known person to be killed by the monster. The first being the pilot mm. in in the pilot. Um, and after Echo's death, the only member of the Tailies not killed or abducted is Bernard. Oh my God! Serious? Good for you, Bernard. Oh, like uh, Anna's gone, Libby's gone, Echo's gone, and Cindy was abducted, and the kids were abducted. It's just Bernard. Oh my god! Oh my, there's there's someone needs to give that man a gold star. Yeah, my Rose gosh. is like not on my watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, I love her so much. <laughs> so that is the Echo storyline. Um, let's let's do the flashes. Um, sure, sure. Okay, so in the distant past, uh, Echo breaks into a room to get bread for Yemi. They get caught, and the nun forces Echo to confess, even though he doesn't regret it. It's pretty loud to be breaking into something. <laughs> he's doing it very loudly. I mean, he's a kid. Yeah, yeah and they're um, hungry. So basically, he stole food for Le- for Yemi, and she says that he sinned, so he has to confess. But I think this is kind of maybe giving us the message that not all sinning is bad. Like sometimes it's worth it. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was funny that the the priest in the back is just sitting there like, let's get this over with, kid. Like, he's listening to the conversation or she's like, go, go. And he's just sitting there waiting for him to show up. It's like, come on. Can we just do this? Let's do it. Let's just, let's just rob people. Yeah. I do think it was, I do think it was interesting though there, though, that like the person to confess to was like faceless. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like they were just waiting for them. And I think, you know, and it was it was like a confess to the point of judgment. And in some ways that in itself was its own weird little foreshadowing of the entity, which itself mm-hmm. is faceless. Right. Oh. Mm. Or it takes other people's faces. Exactly. On Lastpedia, it said the actor who plays young Echo has a lower voice than he did in the 23rd Psalm, but this flashback takes place before that scene. Oh. <laughs> um, but what, what can you do? What can you do? Puberty's hard, okay? <laughs> yeah. I, I respect him. They didn't have anybody to speed them up into a Brit monk. <laughs> exactly. A Brit monk. Uh, after Yemi gets shot, the military takes Echo back to Yemi's village. Echo heads into the church where he meets Amina and Daniel, who went to see, who want to see Yemi. Echo says that he's taking his place here and also in London, where Yemi was planning on going next week. So he goes into Yemi's church and he sees Jesus on the cross. And it, it occurred to me that like when Yemi got shot, he kind of like put out his arms to try mm-hmm. and block um, the military from shooting Echo and got um, 
shot himself in the process, but his arms were out, mm-hmm. kind of like oh um, yeah, were. So I thought that was yeah, cool. and it really was the a, a bit like the innocent one giving up their mm-hmm. life to save the sinner. Mm-hmm. The oh. survivor's guilt mm. is real. Yeah. So we, he also looks over to the confession booth and he's like, I guess it's my job to now listen to confessions. Mm. Um, and the Bible that he finds is Yemi's Bible. Um, I was wondering if it's like the same Bible as before, like the same Bible that we saw in the first flashback or potentially Yemi would have gotten his own Bible. It looked like the same one, like an inherited one. Yeah. I wonder if that's what they were trying to say. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, Yemi had a picture of the two of them as children in his book, which was really sweet. And uh, on Lostpedia, a fun fact was that uh, the picture of them was found in Isaiah chapter four. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And so four is one of them numbers, huh? <gasps> I didn't even pick up on that part. So interestingly, just, just looking, looking this up. Yeah. It is about, it is about kind of taking up that, that particular verse, like four one, mm-hmm. it begins with like, take away our disgrace and it talks about Mm -hmm. finding you know the people who survive coming back to joy and coming back to happiness oh they never do anything by accident on this show no they do not yeah yeah amina and daniel are looking for yemi and echo says that yemi was called away and that he'll be the new priest brother yemi is he's gone he was called away quite suddenly an emergency at the refugee camp down south I am Amina. I work at the clinic. This is my son, Daniel. He's the altar boy here. Are you taking his place? Yes. Will Father Yemi still go to London? London? He was leaving at the end of the week. He was going to continue his studies. I will take his place there too. Echo obviously takes that. We see him in London in... Um, I want to say question mark. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, in question mark, he was in London. Um, so that makes sense that he went and did that. Mm. I was wondering if Yemi had prepared a replacement ahead of time. Um, like, it's weird that no one ever shows up to take his place. Or like, now now Echo's place? Does anyone Was anyone going to show up to take Yemi's place when Yemi was going to go to London? Oh, I, I didn't even think of that. I don't know. I, I don't think it matters, but I just thought of that. No, I think that was just kind of like a incidental part of the storyline that they're like, nobody yeah. will care about this loose end, never thinking that there would be this podcast where we would ask that question. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're like, okay, well, in a previous flashback, he was in London, so let's make it make sense why he was in London mm. is basically what that was. Yeah. So inside the church later, Echo washes his hands with holy water. Daniel tells him not to do that. Um, Yemi would never do that, but Echo says that he's not Yemi. They hear gunfire outside, and Echo tells Daniel to stay inside while he investigates. So uh, I have a feeling that that's not allowed. No. Yeah, I don't think you're supposed to wash your hands in holy water. No. Yeah. No. 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 And it's uh, it, it's one of those ones where it's, yeah, it is like a sacrosanct kind of place for him to be him to be doing that but I think too it's um it's also a moment kind of of, of echo realizing like everybody to this point since then has thought he was the priest that's kind of yeah. a big moment for him in a lot of ways to realize I am not my brother I am mm-hmm. so not my brother and so I don't yeah I don't know what I'm what what being a priest is about because I'm I became a priest in like the wrong way I don't know anything about being a priest. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that was a real moment of guilt for him, I think, mm-hmm. at the loss of his brother. 
Yeah. I also think it, I think it was pretty funny that Daniel was like, um, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Uh, cause Yemi wouldn't do that. And Echo's like, well, I'm not Yemi. And Daniel's like, well, here's the thing. I don't think it was a Yemi rule. I think it's just like, you know, a God rule. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's not really a good excuse, oh. but. The good Lord was like, please don't wash your hands in my water. It's That's mine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was going to use that. <laughs> but whatever. So they hear gunfire. Um, he tells Daniel not to go um, come outside because he's obviously really like a lot safer in there. Um, and I think Echo obviously has an attachment to Daniel, especially since he like saw him in a vision on the island. Mm. And I think it probably reminds him of Yemi um, when he was a child as well. So outside, a small militia shows up fronted by Emeka. He demands to see Yemi. Amina tells him that the vaccine shipment is late. She explains to Echo that they give 80% of their vaccines to Emeka and his crew in exchange for protection. Echo will not stand for this. Emeka shoots an innocent woman in the street to get Echo to comply. So does this woman die? I think she does. Yeah, we don't we don't see her like okay later. No. So I yeah, I think she's dead. Yeah. That's just such a big thing that like Echo just doesn't reflect on later. Yeah, I think I wonder if like what Echo's plan was there to just turn around and be like, um no, I can protect us. I think it's probably in an in interesting thing though, like I this might sound like an odd thing, but like a cultural thing from from where we are. You know, um, mm-hmm. for for them, where they were, where they were living, like that, like I don't even think it's just Echo. Like you think of, you know, the nurse as well. Like she wasn't exactly shedding tears. She's just like, well, that's, you know, like for them, this is this is part of life having invaded yeah. militias. Uh-huh. And so I imagine that there's something horribly known and familiar about people doing stuff like that. And it, that's you know, a good and point. Probably a bit more numb to it than we are, I guess, perhaps in our safe Western sensibilities. Yeah. Which is a horrible thing to think about. But like you think yeah. even the kids didn't start screaming and crying and, every, you know. That's true. Mm. It's sort of when you live under that kind of rule, like militia rule, you're accustomed to that level of violence. It was. Perhaps you did not hear me. I said, where is Father Yemi? The shipment is late. I just got off the telephone. They assured me to arrive on Friday. What shipment? You should explain our arrangement to your new priest. We receive shipments of vaccines from the Red Cross. We're allowed to keep 20%. The rest we give to Emeka and his men. In exchange for protection. So you see, Father, everybody is happy, huh? Everybody is happy. Everybody benefits. So, I hope you will continue to honor our arrangements. I'm not afraid of you. I, I love that Echo seems so surprised to learn that Yemi has been dealing with this, with this because I think he sees Yemi as like a softer, like a much softer version of himself. And so the fact that Yemi has been dealing with something so horrifying and then later when Amina says like, he's the one who fought for our right to even have any of these vaccines, mm-hmm. it's like a surprise to him. He feels like he didn't even know his brother. Cause he, cause yeah. honestly he didn't. Yeah. He didn't. But I also think that too, like Yemi was as aside from, you know, um, being kind of an upright man, he was also a realist. Like he knew the situation mm-hmm. the community was in, he was dealing with. And you could tell that there was a, for the greater good, mentality and in a weird way it was strange because like echo knowing that he was kind of taking the brunt of you know confession and punishment he's like well i'll take it 
for the greater good. So Mm -hmm. in a weird way, there was kind of a bit of a similarity that played out different between the brothers there. So even though they perhaps had lost touch and didn't know each other as well, you could still see that same mindset in both of them. I I think it's so ridiculous. And, And this happens, it feels like, in a lot of different like TV shows when this happens. But when people are like paying people for protection, and you know that what the protection is, is that if you don't pay me, then I will attack you. So I'm they're really just protecting them from themselves, yeah. you know? However, like, I bet, you know, obviously there are a lot of other militias as well, because later Amina says, like, these men will be replaced by other men. Mm. So it feels like, I guess it kind of is protection, because it's like this village or whatever is ours, and none of the other militias can come near Mm. us. Yeah, that's how the mafia works. Yeah, yeah. That's 100% how the mafia works. Exactly. Absolutely. I agree. Um, so he is going around and he's like, yeah, we're totally going to keep doing this because everybody benefits and everybody's happy about this. And I'm like, thanks for the gaslighting, bud. Sure. So yeah, he shoots a random woman and they say, we're going to be back on Friday for the vaccines. Um, this life was your fault and you don't want more. And Echo's like, sir, you do not know me. (laughs) There have been many others. He literally came to the wrong house. And Echo has Mm -hmm. killed a lot of people, but these people in particular are innocent. Like that woman did nothing, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, Brittany, did you want to comment on Emeka's dope shades? Oh my god, so Emeka puts on those friggin', like, slim, stupid, early 2000 sunglasses, uh-huh. and I was like, hi, I'm Emeka, and I'm rolling out looking for Nigeria's greatest diners, dragons, and knives. I'm like, I think I am so funny. I th- I laughed a lot when it happened, and I was like, you know what, we're gonna remember that one. Thank you. Fun fact for our lost listeners. I was in an episode of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dive. It was a really good It was a dream come true. I knew I was excited. I can't remember. Did we see you in the background? Yes, you can totally see me in the background. I'm eating fish voluntarily, and it was actually really good. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Can you please put that on a T-shirt? I was eating fish voluntarily. (laughs) (laughs) I hate... My gosh. My gosh. I hate fish. All right. Just just get online and just start... I don't know. Start an Etsy account. You'll sell out of that t-shirt in five minutes. Jinsu Kwan would buy that t-shirt. <laughs> I eat fish volunteer. Yeah. I'm going to put that on a mask. <laughs> oh my. I ate fish voluntarily. <laughs> what did you do today? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I sacrificed for us. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so great. <laughs> I, I just really hate seafood for some reason. I just do. So... Later, Echo talks to Amina about the vaccines. She says they come around every six months. She tells Echo not to fight Emeka because before Yemi, they didn't get any percentage of the vaccines. And she tells Echo that he seems like Yemi, like a good man. And that's like what makes it kind of extra sad because especially like later when Daniel says, my mom said you were a bad man. You know, she's the one who is the one. (laughs) It feels like she's the one who decides. Yeah. Because she's the one who said he was good before and now she's taken it back. Mm. Well, he personally let her down. Mm -hmm. Mm. And like, yes, he is like Yemi and it's because they're brothers. Yeah. Um, Yeah, most of the vaccines go to the militia and Yemi's the one who helps them get the 20%. And it's, she's like, it's okay for us to just have that much Mm. with so that we don't have to go through all of this crap. Now, is she a nurse or is she a full-blown doctor? I think she might be a full-blown doctor. She Mm. might be. She's in like a nurse's type scrubs. Yeah. So I'm not sure. She, I think she says, I work at the clinic Mm. is what she says. So it's it's not, we're not uh, totally sure. Okay. Um, But I bet it's nice for Echo to hear something like that because he feels so separate from Yemi, especially now. Yeah. Um, Elsewhere, Echo wears a flashy outfit. I don't know what that outfit was. 
Uh, and he goes to meet another man and says that he wants to sell some vaccines. Mm. So, wow, what a jazzy outfit. For okay, so was he really going to sell those vaccines? Okay, so here's what I think. I think that he went to the guy to say, I want to sell some vaccines because Amina just told him that they were expensive. So he says, I want to do that. And I'm, I think that he learned from last time because the last time that he did this... Uh, was when he was smuggling out that heroin and that's how Yemi died. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think he was actually going to sell the vaccines. I think he was putting it out there that he was selling the vaccines because later Emeka comes back and is like, you thought that I wouldn't know about it? So he was luring them to I him. think he was luring them, especially... I think he was luring them as well. Yeah, okay. especially because later then when after he's killed the men and they're um, boarding up the church and everything, you can see them unloading all of the vaccines. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. I think I think he was luring them. Yeah, okay, right. I, li- I like that a lot better. Yeah, I was worried about it as well. When I was rewatching, I was like, I'm not sure I remember exactly what's happening here. Mm. I think that makes a lot of sense and I really like that actually. Mm-hmm. And I think too, in his mind, he's killing bad men. He's, 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 yeah, exactly. he's, he's, he's a, in his mindset, perhaps he feels like a bad man killing badder men for the right reason. Exactly. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. kind of a, a Robin Hood type thing in which it's like, I'm, I'm doing bad things, but I'm doing the bad things to bad people. So it's okay. Exactly. Very much. Very much. And yet, you know, the thing that he's confronted with on the outside is like, you know, just if you, if you do the wrong thing, even if it's for the right reason, it's still the wrong thing, you know, and that's, he's confronted with that, with, um, mm-hmm. with the nurse as well. And so that, that's kind of a key part of what he has to reckon with by the time he gets to the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And, and also it's a really great, um, like thing that they're showing us immediately after she's ca- that she calls him a good man. Mm. Um, we see him maybe not being as much of a good man as we thought he was. And then it goes back and forth because then it turns out that he was actually doing something good for them. Mm. But the way that he approached it was very much like not in line with, I would say, conventional morality. Yeah. But you think of like the very last thing he said pretty much before he died was that, you know, that that whole line of, you know, I didn't ask for this life, but I was given it, mm-hmm. you know, nonetheless. And I did my best. Yeah. He also, and, and I did my best. And I think I think that's in his mind what he's done. He's done the best with what he had in front of him. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the reason that he's like, no, I don't feel like I should ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause yeah, I don't, I don't need to be forgiven. Mm, I don't need to be forgiven yeah. for killing bad men, you mm-hmm. know? So, and I think too, you yeah. sort of see the, with, with the nurse, the way that she was talking, she's like, well, the, the weight, the important thing here is the life, regardless of whether it was good or bad. But for him, the weight right. is whether or not the life was a, of a good or bad person and what they'd done. Right. So, mm-hmm. and I think like it's interesting that for Echo, that doesn't register because he's not trying to repent for anything that he did to someone else. He's trying to repent for repent for everything that he did to his brother. Mm. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. owe anything to anyone except for his brother. Mm. Right. Um, so Emeka and his men arrive um, and meet Echo in the church. They heard about him trying to sell the vaccines. They won't kill a holy man. So they're just going to cough his hands. Cool. <laughs> Oops, you're messing with the wrong guy. He attacks and kills them. And as he leaves the church, everyone in the village sees him covered in blood, including Daniel and Amina. Mm. That's a huge moment. Mm. So they learned that he's selling the vaccine, um, but he doesn't want to kill a priest. Um, and Echo says that he's not afraid and he attacks and kills them all. Emeka pleads for his life, which of course is what we saw in the jungle. Um, and then everyone's outside looking at him covered in blood and especially Daniel and Amina are the ones who, who see him mm. there. And that's sort of a bit of a link to as well as like innocence lost of him and his brother. Yeah. Yep. That was a... Mm-hmm. Mm. Right, like the slow motion shot of Daniel like looking mm-hmm. at him. 
And it's like, oh, you're not a good man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the the circle is beginning again. Mm, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's a cycle. Okay, well, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so um, lastly, in the flashbacks, uh, later, Daniel asks Echo if he's a bad man. The village gets to keep all of their vaccine now, but Amina knows that Emeka will just be replaced with more men who want to take advantage of them. Echo killed for nothing, and now Yemi's church is unusable, and Echo owes him a new church. So inside the church, Daniel is sweeping, and I'm like, okay, but who who cleaned up all the dead bodies, though? Like, not you, right? <laughs> oh my god! No, not the tiny kid. Yeah. And, yeah, they're boarding up the church because it isn't sacred anymore, and she's using the word judged, which is the same word that Yemi is using at, mm. at the beginning of the episode. Um, she tells him that in London he needs to repent because he owes God for all of the lives that he's taken. And then we talk about Yemi's church. It's unusable, and he owes him a church. And I love this reveal that, you know, all... Uh, like half of last season, Echo spent the entire time building a church with mm-hmm. Charlie. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, he well, he's building a church. That's nice. He's a priest. Yeah, church things, you know? And then it and then the reveal is that she told him, You owe Yemi a church. And he's like, Okay. And he goes and he builds a church with his bare hands yep. on the island. He's like, Okay, this is how I repent. This is how I make up for it. Mm. I see you have your vaccine. Do you expect me to be grateful? I know what you were planning to do. Those men, Those I Those men will be replaced by other men. What are they doing? What is the meaning of this? We are boarding up the church. We can no longer use it. This is Yemi's church. You have no right to do this. It is no longer sacred. I wonder you'll be judged for what you did. If I were you... I will start making my peace now. I will go to London and begin to repent. Because you owe God for every life you've taken. And you truly believe this is Yemi's? You owe him one church. Is there something that we can take from the fact that it was it was, it went unfinished? Oh. I think I'm sure there is. I think there is something to be taken from that because I think in the sense that, you know, this this notion of repentance, it's never something I think that anybody like realistically will get done perfectly complete and then it never has to be done again. It's always a work mm-hmm, in yeah. progress. And I right. think I think that's maybe what they're sort of saying there is the fact that it's unfinished says you know, this the, the idea of like working towards your better self is a continual thing. It's never there's never mm-hmm. going to be a moment where you put in, you know, ha, ha, you know, put in put in the last pane of glass or whatever it is and, and it's done. So there's maybe, yeah, I think there's something in that. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so now it's time for segments. Um our first segment is our best line award. Um my best line award this episode goes to Paolo for The toilet still works. <laughs> I I just relate to that so much, <laughs> wanting to use a toilet, especially after just squatting for three months. Oh my god, I would have gone insane. Yeah. Well, That's- you know what? Actually, it's easier for him because he's a man, so he pre- he only has to squat sometimes. Oh yeah. Yeah. They have it way easier than we do. Mm. Yeah. My best line award goes to Saeed and Desmond for. <laughs> Can I ask why he's being included in the conversation? Is that supposed to help my feelings? Aaron, uh, who, who does your uh, your line go well, to? Well, this this one is, is is a serious one, but for me, it was it was Echo's line where he talks about. I did not ask for the life that I was given, but it was given, nonetheless, and with it, 
I did my best. And that that whole scene. That's a great line. Yeah, it's truly iconic. It was a it was a really powerful line for someone to kind of say, you know, right at the right at the death knell of their life. And it sort of it weirdly it made me think of um you know that that Lord of the Rings line where Frodo is like saying, I don't know why we didn't kill uh didn't kill Gollum when we had the chance and Gandalf gives him this big speech where he's just like you know all that is left is to do what we can with the time that's given to us and Mm. I've thought about that a lot that was like a really kind of profound response to to that so yeah that was my line I liked it I love that I love that our next segment is man of science man of faith um our character we're talking about this episode is Echo um I think that's kind of a given Mm. yeah Uh, Echo's definitely a man of faith especially this episode Mm. And and always really, yeah, he is. And I think I think the thing too is like he. I think like you know we were talking about earlier that idea of his his faith coming from a very real and grounded, non manufactured place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, now, set for Hurley's Walkman. Uh, so for Hurley's Walkman, we have "I Wonder" by Brenda Lee. It's played at Colleen's funeral, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, especially yeah. with the lyrics. Mm. Um, and then we also have "Echo Lagos," which is a 2001 song performed by Femi Kuti. It's playing on a radio during Echo's black market vaccine deal with the trader at a bar in Nigeria. Um, and a fun fact about that is that Lagos um, or Lagos, I don't, I don't know. Sorry, <laughs> um, Nigeria's largest city was formerly known as Echo. They don't, oh. they do not miss a trick, do they? They really don't. It's incredible. My gosh. It's so weird that you get used to watching bad television. Yes. <laughs> Where oh like, that like masquerades is good television. Mm. So you're like, oh, well, this is just a coincidence. No one planned this. And it's like, then you watch good television. Mm. Yeah. And every single thing is planned or like something means something or mm. like, you know, there's a little Easter egg and you're like, oh, this is how TV's supposed to yeah, be. Yeah. And you, you're supposed to feel good. You kind of forget what it is to watch something that shows a real craftsmanship, like a real consideration, not just of the finished product, but how every individual little thing puts things together. You know, this is, it's something I think say like Lost did really well. It's something like shows like 12 Monkeys did really well. Um, But yeah, like the the sheer amount of intricate planning (laughs) that went into this Mm -hmm. and it's in little details like this. You think, man, did they just have a giant whiteboard? Of like a billion facts. Yeah, I bet, I, I think I they, bet you they had a whiteboard room. <laughs> yeah. And they specifically had a continuity director. Mm. Which is like, like do all do shows now have a continuity oh, director? Maybe well, of them, technically but... it's the script supervisor. Yeah, but, but they just had they had more than one, which exactly. worked out really nicely for mm. And I would also argue, like, even today when you have shows that do pay attention to meticulous details like Westworld, mm-hmm. sometimes those details don't extend to the characters. Mm. Right. Because Westworld, for as entertaining as it is, is a relatively soulless show. Yes. Mm-hmm. I agree. It you know, the characters, you know, they're there, but they're there for the plot. Yeah. And I think Lost just balances it so well where you're like, I feel very treated as a viewer. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And I think too, like, it's a show that not just in the way that they wrote it, but I think equally in the way that they cast it. You know, I think mm-hmm. there is something just for everybody to connect to. Like, the, you know, there's it's, it's very difficult when you're watching a show where you think, yeah, you know, like the... Like the storyline is really interesting, but you know, like everybody's beautiful, everybody's hair's perfect, everybody's this, everybody's that, and you just kind of ignore the perfection of it in order to take in the story. Yep. But in exactly. this, I feel like humanity is something that they not only embrace, but they weave it, like they actively mm-hmm. use it, and that's that's so good. 
because I don't find myself being yeah. distracted by the perfection. Desmond's hair aside, like, I mean, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, listen, I am distracted by Desmond almost always. Mm. His hair is just so beautiful, yeah. you know? Oh. And that shirt is just so very open. <laughs> and, you know? Oh, and that, that accent. I mean, just like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I gave him a book of poetry, like, I think I would die. I think I would actually <laughs> die just listening to him just being like, I'm going to read you some sonnets. And I was just like, oh! <laughs> 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 right. Just spontaneously combusts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, here lies Aaron in a million pieces, ashes scattered over seven miles. <laughs> That's a long epitaph. It'd just be a mushroom cloud. <laughs> it would be. Well, I'll be honest with you. My epitaph would be a gift, probably. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's hysterical. Our next segment is Sawyer's <laughs> Book Corner. And even though it wasn't necessarily a book, uh, I figured we would go here to talk about To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, there are some things on Lostpedia that they reference um, that sometimes you can click on a page for them and they will give you like, um, shared themes between Lost and everything. It's like the best and I wish they did it for all of them, but they do have some for To Kill a Mockingbird. And two of the ones that I pil- pulled out was um, the lesson that morality is relative is one is one which is a theme shared by episodes such as one of them and the cost of living. Um, and both Lost and To Kill a Mockingbird explore themes of division and difference between groups of people inhabiting the same place. They do, but the biggest thing here is that To, mm-hmm. killing, to Kill a Mockingbird, the entire premise of that being the title is the evil yes. of killing something innocent mm-hmm. and the f- and that's what what this is about it really. is and so there is the idea though that it was used in regards to ben right and yep. so oh yeah because he's he's the innocent one mm-hmm. you mean yeah yeah and so that's that's the thing where you just like it's sort of undermining in a weird way what Juliet's saying, like to kill a mockingbird. Like that's that's a very interesting thing to do because, you know, yeah. in, in the end it's the, um, for that, you know, that particular story, it's the hateful man who's manipulative and who goes through, like he's very obviously the one that needs to, but but the, the, the greatest story that's told to these kids is, you know, the idea of don't be careless with innocent things because innocence is precious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. It's so good. So the next uh, segment is Did They Do the Thing? Um, which is when they say the name of the episode in the episode. They did not do the thing this episode, tragic. unfortunately. <laughs> um, how many episodes since the last knockout? Alas, I wasn't gonna. Because uh, one of our rules is that it's not death. Death doesn't count as a knockout. No. But Echo gets knocked out before he dies, so I think it counts. He also gets like knocked out like multiple times. Really? Yeah, technically. Like yeah, not, technically he does. Not like head trauma wise, but yeah. It's like they were trying to. It's like they were trying to make up for it. <laughs> yeah, they, they were like, we need to put him through a whole bunch of trauma really quickly. Yeah. yeah, he like gets like smashed up against a tree, and he's fully out by the time that Locke gets to him. Okay, T, fine. Yeah. Um, how many episodes since the last Jack's plane? Uh, would you guys say that Jack did any mansplaining this episode? No, he did. He did explain to a man. No, that's the thing. Yeah, he it's did true. Explain, but he explained. To a man that, hey dude, you sick. The last segment that we've got right here is, uh, does this episode pass the Bechdel test? No. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. pass the Bechdel test as much as we would have liked. Nah. But alas. Nah. The show itself doesn't pass it as much as we would like, but that's just how it is, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Stay tuned for our segment after the outro. We'll be discussing this episode within the context of the rest of the series. Please be aware that this will be rampant with spoilers, so proceed with caution. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our music is Terminal by Good News Tunes. Um, thank you to the creators and community at Lostpedia. Our spoiler song was composed and produced by Francis Neves. Uh, we also wanted to say thank you, especially today, for uh, to our lovely roommates, Emily and Sam, for their cooperation and respect while we recorded this podcast. Yes, they are locked in their room slash Sam and I's room, and um, they are- Sam is texting me being like, I'm hungry! And I'm like, listen, I have to talk about TV, I'm sorry. Honey. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if you are so inclined, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get up there in the algorithm, and we could really use those um, happy little stars. That'd be great. Uh, if you're a fan of The 100, we like to talk about that show, too. Uh, we, I cannot believe it, have finished. Thank God. <laughs> the show is over, and uh, we have posted all of our podcasts about it. Um, however, starting in 2021, we are going to be going back to do the first three seasons, because we uh, we didn't uh, we started in season four. We like we, Me and Brittany uh, did season three on a different podcast network um, but we lost all those podcasts to the ether and we started in season four so we're going to be going back and doing those first three seasons um so go check it out because that's when we actually liked the show and that's nice for mm-hmm. us yeah. if you're a fan of riverdale we like to talk about that show too as we like to say it is the junk food of television mm-hmm. and we like to gorge ourselves <laughs> on it we have covered the first four seasons of the show and we're doing season five whenever it happens it's shooting. january it's supposed to happen in january and i'm absolutely thrilled uh it's it's the best thing yeah pandemic ever. willing we will have new riverdale in January. I love it so much. If you're a fan of Stranger Things, we like to talk about that show too. We have done all of season one and we are just finishing up season two here. And then we're going to be taking all of next year to be doing uh, season three. And then hopefully season four will be ready for us. Season four, please. 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 Literally, literally, please. Like, is it too much to ask? Please. If you're a fan of Star Trek, we like to talk about that, like, probably an obnoxious amount, but what can I tell you? It's my comfort television. Um, We covered the entirety of first season of Star Trek Picard, and we will be doing other Star Trek podcasts in the future. It's just that I work, like, multiple jobs, and I'm a really busy lady, and Sam is also a busy lady, so it's going to take us a bit. Uh, You can follow at The Aficionados on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, Redbubble, YouTube, mostly Twitter, but we do uh, post gifts of our favorite line awards on Tumblr, so please go support me over there. Eventually, I'll get to these ones. Oh, Tumblr. It's just a nice, quiet place now, you know? Yeah. Oh, it is. It's like going to visit your name. Because all the crap's on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash theaficionados. If you have a spare dollar, we would really appreciate it because hosting these podcasts is more expensive than you think it would be. Yeah. Uh, we've got lots of stuff, though. If uh, At $1 and up a month, you get early access to all of our podcasts. And uh, this year, uh, we are sending out stickers with all of our um, special uh, anniversary postcards. Um, I'm not going to... This is the last reminder on this feed. November 16th is your is your cutoff and you get su- you get five super fancy stickers this year. Um, $5 and up gets you 10% off at choppylux.com, which is where me and Brittany sell art. And if you're like, hey, stickers, like, <laughs> it's a sticker. No, you don't understand. <laughs> these stickers are going to be dope. I custom designed all of these based on some of the things that we say the most. They're aficionado stickers and they are dope. They're really cool. So you're definitely going to want to join uh, our Patreon by November 16th for those. Exactly. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey. That's R-O-B-Y-N-E-J-E-F-F-R-E-Y pretty much everywhere. And you can follow me on Twitter at Britannia, which is B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-A with an underscore at the end, but I wouldn't recommend it. Erin, thank you so much for joining us. Yay! Uh, thank you for having me. I have had the best time. I have had the bestest time. Yeah, it's been so awesome. 
when we went on our break, we literally like went into like Sam and I's room. We were like, she's so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, you are you are my people that back here at home. It's just like, who were you talking to earlier? I was just like, just some amazing people. You don't know them. They're mine. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't know them, don't worry about it. Oh, it's just like I'm not sharing. No. <laughs> And where can we uh, where can we follow you? You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Speedmouse. So just Speed Mouse, literally one yeah. word. That's me. Uh, our next episode is episode three hundred six. It's called I Do, and um, our guest for that one is going to be Angie. Um, and we are really excited to have her. Woo-hoo! Uh, this is a this is a really good episode for Robbins. So I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> okay, love you. Bye. Okay, love you. Bye. I can't do that the way you can. So you'll have a great day now. <laughs> Spoilers, spoilers, welcome to spoilers. Uh, I'm going to go through these uh, pretty quickly, and I think I'm going to start with um, all the stuff about Echo, because um, obviously Echo passes away mm. this episode, and so there's not a whole lot of spoilers to talk about in that regard. Um, Listen, I mean, I guess we have to talk about our Man in Black related. Let's yeah, exactly. So this is definitely the Man in Black, uh, the vision of Yemi. I think that even, like, it's it's hard to decide. I can't remember what we decided in the question mark episode if, like, the dreams that he was getting were Jacob or MIB. Um, but the person here is definitely MIB, obviously, because we've got also the smoke monster, basically. Yeah. Right One of the uh, militia members loses his arm, um, which, like, losing body parts is, like, kind of another thing smaller theme on this show <laughs> um and it reminded me of montand losing his arm with uh danielle when, oh right yeah and then Jin like flashes through time and like just has like a gross arm <laughs> yeah so yeah this is a vision probably from mib uh, but these people would not be visible to anybody else unlike when he's inhabiting yemi in which people probably would be able to see him yeah that was my question is if had, if Locke had walked into the field would he have been able to see MIB. Yeah, here's the thing. So that's, I'm, I'm not sure because like later down the line, like you um, explained, Aaron, that, um, you know, when the monster leaves and then Locke shows up is like total foreshadowing mm-hmm. for season five when MIB is the small, or uh, MIB is mm-hmm. Locke, um, which there's no way they knew that they were doing <laughs> ahead of time. Like this is just a really coincidental thing but like when um mib was christian especially in 105 he's like being creepy and like staring at jack Mm. and kate couldn't see him Mm. oh i don't think Mm. so yeah um that's a bfd Mm -hmm. okay Mm. and then i do think it's completely reasonable to assume though like based off of like all of the crazy coincidences you could be like okay so the 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 smoke monster is whatever that yeah being Mm. i agree I have a question, though. Okay. Are the bodies that you see actually those bodies, though? And I'm only asking no. because even though they would be decomposed, there's, like, elements of them that kind of mm-hmm. still look... So, like, yeah, Yemi's, like, clothes, it seems. Yeah. And, and Christian's in the clothes that he's meant to, like, that he was he was buried in. Yeah. Like, he's in the shoes that he's buried in. Um, But it's obviously not their actual bodies, so it's, like, partially a memory, I think. Okay. A memory thing because MIB also took Christian's body. It was also missing in 105. Um, but it's it's weird also because MIB's body, like in Across the Sea in season six, his body 
stayed in the cave like where it actually that was my question is why does he take the bodies like if he's not going to use the bodies as literal zombie puppets Mm -hmm. why does he take the bodies does he think he has to like yeah yeah i I don't know i don't know the answer to that one because he can i i think it's because he can and i think it's the the thing about the this whole entity is the idea of of its power its capacity to Mm -hmm. be whatever it wants in order to get the job done if that makes sense. So yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think with this, I don't know, there, there's something like I, I feel like <laughs> as, as much as we want to put limitations on it and be like, okay, yeah, it can be this, but it can only be, I don't, yeah, I don't know that we can necessarily because it does fool so, like it fools everybody when it's locked. Do you know what I mean? It's so convincing. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And uh, like, it's very, oh my God, that's such a good point because, you know, the memories must be so good because, um, because like, you know, Echo believes that it's Yemi Mm -hmm. and Jack believes that it's his dad. However, um, I think that maybe it was a stealing a body thing. And then when they finally decided more concretely about what the MIB's like actual powers Mm. are, then he doesn't actually steal the body because in the season five finale, they pour out the box and Locke's body is sitting right there. Oh my god, though, duh! Even though Locke is inside killing, or like helping Ben kill Jacob at this exact same yep. time. And then that's when we get like MIB um, having like died kind of in the light of the island. And like it's still, like his body is still in the cave with Mother's body. So like that's finally when they kind of decide exactly what MIB's powers mm-hmm. are. I think that I think that there's like no explanation here between those two things and I think that at this time it was he steals the bodies and at a later time it's that he doesn't steal the bodies and I think that's just how and I think we need to like leave room as fans for the fact that ultimately this story like any story when it's being created at length it it needs room to evolve yeah And and I think that's the thing is you know this is a this is this is a, a perfect example of that. You know, in the beginning, they're like, we know ultimately kind of the catalyst that we want this to be and the kind of presence, that the malevolent presence that we want it to be. But it was like, and you can really tell, I think, in the writing, it was something that the more the writers understood how to wrangle it, the, the more nuanced its presence became yeah. in the story. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think, like, as fans, it's important to give like a narrative place room to make those changes because as much as we want something to be perfectly planned out from the very beginning, that's not going to happen. Like that's just not how humans create and that's not how humans are. We can't perfectly plan for anything. Exactly. And that improvisation in media is actually sometimes what elevates it Mm. is working on the fly. Like, you know, you can plan out, you know, a, a, ro- a romance between two characters. If those two actors don't have chemistry, you have to change your whole game. You yeah. really do. So I like the improvisation. Like, I like that it's like, okay, well, they just didn't know what they were doing yet. Mm, Let's yeah. just move on, you know? Exactly. Don't get stuck in the canon. Mm. Yeah, and um, and especially, like, with this death in particular, I think it was kind of a, a, okay, what is, what can we do that's meaningful and what's cool and doesn't necessarily work with what is going to happen later? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Because my next few questions were like, why does MIB do this? Why is he hearing him out before he kills him? Why does MIB kill him? Why would MIB reveal that he's not his brother? Like, uh, you know... And I think that they just don't necessarily know exactly who MIB is at this time. Yep. They just think he's the smoke monster and then they'll figure out why the smoke monster well, would do these sort of things later. And it could be that they didn't even know that the smoke monster was a person. Yeah, at that exactly. point, they could have just thought the smoke monster was 
a smoke monster yeah. and, and takes over people's bodies and that's all they knew exactly yeah. exactly and i think but i think it also leaves it leaves room for the fact that somewhere in the shape of that entity even even at a, even at its early stages within the story you know before it was fully formed before you knew exactly what you were going to do to mm-hmm. it there was a level of sentient intelligence at, you know a yeah. level of it it had its own motivation its own desire mm-hmm. its its own capacity to evolve and understand and use and manipulate and all of that kind of stuff so essentially like i think the the word monster is an interesting one because it sort of suggests like just this this crazed beastness of like that it's it's dumb it only sort of has like one purpose that it works towards and it's 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 quite primal Mm -hmm. yeah and that's just like instinct exactly instinct is exactly right whereas this this has a very ironically human level of consideration and moves and it's Mm -hmm. it's a it's a creature that you know it doesn't smash stuff up it plays chess it is literally playing chess with these characters Mm -hmm. and so that's yeah that's one of the things where i think you know we're only in that middle stage before they realize just how smart a chess player they could make this yeah Mm -hmm. i agree so what did um, Echo mean by we're next? Did he mean you're next? Did he mean we're next? I guess ultimately it means you're next no matter which one he actually said. Um, but I'm not sure if that ever came to fruition other than the fact that like Locke is n- next. Not necessarily like next, but that it's upcoming for him that like Locke is going to be either taken over by the smoke monster or like Nikki and Paolo are next because they're like the next main characters to die. Or um, I think that there's a lot of ways to interpret you're next. I think there is too, but I, I think, think it's also a power play. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Ooh, I yeah. think I think that's what it is. <laughs> I think it's genuinely a power play. Um, it was just like, what can I say to like, like, what did the monster say that Echo can relay that would like scare? Absolutely. Them? Like this is this is uh, this is a creature that thinks ahead, and it's been, and you can mm-hmm. tell in the way that it interacts. Like for example, just as much as it knows to come up behind Echo and psych him out. It also knows when to not appear before John Locke. Yeah. Yep. So it's thinking ahead. It's it's observing and it's knowing what these people are doing and it's tailoring its behaviour to suit. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what it's done. I think it's, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I and you're I, completely right. Yeah, I think that it's, it's interesting that it, it appears so different to Locke as well. Locke sees it as something positive and good and beautiful, which is the word that he used. And so I think that it uses, like, it sees Locke as more of a partner mm-hmm. than, and it saw Echo mm. as, like, a detriment. And so it sees Locke as a partner because, um, like, later, Locke doesn't die on the island. If Locke had died on the island, like, MIB or the Smoke Monster or whatever, maybe could have saved him. But he dies on the, like, off-island and there was nothing that the Smoke Monster could do. Mm. Yeah. I think that if there had been something that he could have done, he would have saved Locke because he sees Locke as a partner potentially. Mm. And I think, and Locke believes that he believes that the Smoke Monster is part of the island and the island is, he has a special connection. And 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 like Locke, sorry, go ahead. No, that's what I was just going to say. Kind of in, in this in the sense of what you're saying there, same recognizes same, and I yes. think there's something in the entity that recognized a similarity to itself, which is why it gave it made Locke perhaps feel more connected, more powerful, mm-hmm. but why it 
decided to attack Echo the way it did because it didn't say it had a connection, but it was a conflict and it saw an adversary yeah. and it didn't see mm-hmm. it. That's, that's the big thing is that that the smoke monster and like the, the entity, it did not see itself in Echo when he killed it. It saw its opposite which is why it was determined to destroy it so thoroughly. Oh, Mm. I like that. Yeah. So I only have a few uh, notes about the Locke storyline, but uh, once they're inside of the Pearl, um, I really love this scene because um, this scene comes back later this season in Exposé, which is the episode about Paolo and Nikki. And um, (laughs) Robin loves that episode. I really love that episode. I think it's so well written, even if it's just a one-off, like the, the, um, the twist at the end is such a heart stopper. The twist at the end I think that it makes me sick. I understand, like, if you're, like, watching the show for the first time and you watch Exposé and you're like, why am I doing this right now? Especially because it's week to week, so you're not binging it. Exactly. So it's it's like the lost sister from Stranger Things. You're just like, why am I wasting my time on this? Except at least there are other characters that you care about in the episode. Precisely. But, like, when you just look at the episode as a whole, it's so well written. Mm. Anyway, so Exposé, there's a scene um, where you see Paolo's... um, point of view in the scene in expose um and paolo goes into the bathroom because he has been in the pearl before and he stashed the diamonds inside (gasps) of the um like the tank Mm. of the toilet wait shut up that's genius so he goes down to the pearl with them and he's retrieving the diamonds and then he flushes it to basically be like i was totally using the bathroom and the reason why later he's like, okay, can we just go? It's because he has something <laughs> in his pants and he, <laughs> he has diamonds in his pants and he wants to leave and hide them somewhere else. Basically. That is, that is hysterical. Mm. It's like, it's such a fun thing for like to come back when you just like, you watch this episode and you're like, yeah, okay. So he went to the bathroom. That's a funny moment, but it doesn't matter. And then later it turns out it mattered so much. and It was really important. Mm. Oh my God. I really love mm. that. The, sh- the, the, this show is playing 3D chess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it absolutely is. And I think the thing as well is like in the same way, like you can see the characters being moved around as pieces. I think as the audience, we get so engrossed in it, we forget we're being moved around like chess pieces as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, because they're also, the writers are also playing the long game with the audience. Like they mm-hmm. they know what they're pulling you into. They know what they want you to feel. Like the the episode where um, Paolo and Nikki are, are written out, like for me, because it's been ages actually since I'd, since I'd really watched Lost and it was only really in preparation for this that I kind of got back into it and I, I wanted to make sure I watched mm-hmm. it. But of all the episodes that really stuck with me, this was one of them. This was one of the ones that yeah. stuck with me the most because I remember those last scenes mm-hmm. of like oh, it's oh, crazy. Sawyer and Hurley and I'm just like, oh, guys, guys, you have no idea what you're doing. And then at the end they just like pat us in and they're like, bye, guys. Yep. yep. So, um... In the Jack storyline, um, Juliet says that she hates funerals, mm. but she's been to a lot of them, and she probably the reason why she hates them is because she feels like it's her fault because um, the pregnant women keep mm. dying, and that's like the reason why she's here. It's like kind of her job to make sure that they are okay, and she fails, and that's probably why she hates. Um, Which is a reminder of yeah, that's bad why she things, hates it so much. and it's not her fault. Mm. Like it's no, it's, it's the island. Yes. it's not her. And then the person who brought Jack to the island was Jacob. Um, not to help Ben, but just in general, Mm. because he needed him. Um, and that's something that 
MIB Locke brings up um, in season five that like all of this happened, or maybe it was regular Locke. Either way, it was definitely Terry O'Quinn who said it. Um, but he said like everybody else on this place gets healed. Mm. Like Locke yep. got healed, Rose got healed, you got cancer. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Everyone else is their best self here, mm. and except for you. So and like, that's like what part is it about reason, you that the island is punishing? And that's part of the reason why Ben is willing to kill Jacob. Mm, yeah. Because of that, because it's all Jacob's fault. And, you know, he says in, in the season five finale that like he has been doing so much in the name of Jacob when he, he doesn't even know him and why, mm. you know? And it, it, it's very clear. And I think that's why Ben's arc is so good is he has blind faith in Jacob mm-hmm. and Jacob literally turns around and says, you yeah and is gonna let him die because ben doesn't understand that everyone on that island is a pawn to jacob because jacob lost his humanity Mm. yeah and like the next person who takes over has to have humanity hence why it's hurley Mm. yeah and hence why he he needs like some kind of person who knows the island and ben has to repent for all the things that he did in jacob's name by joining Mm. hurley yeah and that's why i think that was a perfect ending for ben Mm. i agree it's a it's a it's a phenomenal thing too, I think, when you think like the great irony is that of a character like Jacob that loses their humanity, the only way that they can find relevance and power is that they need the humanity of the people they manipulate. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like you mm. know, to to me that's like in in the one thing they're 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 feeling so powerful, but the reality is is that they are absolutely they they can't exist. They you know, their their reason for being stops being the case when the people that they manipulate stop participating in the fairy tale. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. 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 <laughs> Much to think about. <laughs> Jason? Anything to add before we uh before we do our last outro here? Just that you're both amazing and legends and I've had the best time. I was about to say oh, I love you. I that love you were you. that you were so good. <laughs> Uh, we thank you so much for joining us. Truly, uh, your insight was so awesome, thank and you. we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you. Anytime, I have had so much fun. So I would any anytime you need someone back to to be a muppet on your on your podcast, please. I'm I'm available. <laughs> okay, great. I'll I'll call you. <laughs> she she genuinely. <laughs> uh, so if you guys want to follow Erin on Twitter, um, you can check out the description for uh, her handle. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey. That's R-O-B-Y-N-E-J-E-F-F-R-E-Y pretty much everywhere. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at Britannia, which is B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-A with an underscore at the end. Uh, you can follow both of us at The Aficionados um, on lots of different places, but mostly Twitter, TBH. Uh, and our Patreon is patreon.com slash The Aficionados. If you like what we do here, please consider donating because oof, it do be expensive. Uh, and also, if you um, join before November 16th, then you can get those really, really cool stickers that we designed. I think you guys are going to love them. I'm so excited. <laughs> Me too. I'm so excited. We're putting in the order tonight. Yes. Yeah. Okay, love you. Bye. Okay, love you. Bye. Bye. No ketchup?